and welcome to the Crash Coins Podcast. I'm your host, Steve. I'm John. And I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And who's ready for some unadulterated music discussion? Uh, un- un- oh, oh me! Me! No, it was he, me. He, can't, he, can't, he got it first. Oh, but I didn't realize but, you were talking to me. I was looking right at you, adul- and yet he chimed in. The audience doesn't know that. That's really slow. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what adulterated music discussion would be. Not adult music conversation. I said adulterated. So what's Oh, what adulterated is, yeah. Oh, good right. question. It's, it's sort of like the whelm thing. Yeah, you're always overwhelmed. Nobody's just Nobody's whelmed. whelmed. Or un- you're, you're over, over or, or underwhelmed. Never through. I'm gonna write a novel one day, only speaking in those terms, getting yeah. rid of those awful prefixes. Maybe some suffixes. Maybe some suffixes. I don't know. Do we have? Do you have any problems with suffixes? Depends. Depends on what? Depends on the context of the word. I'm waiting for him to say a word that well, has yeah, a suffix. Yeah, that's what I, I was use, waiting for. Also, give me the context. Give me context. I'll tell you if I approve or not. I have no context to give you. So we're all out of context. We're all out of context. We're all out of ideas. We're all out of love. Oh, we're all out of love. All right, let's, let's try to bring back some so love and some context. I knew it was coming. <laughs> I didn't feel it. And some ideas. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, I've been culling through a lot of albums, and I think I may have finally found a concise math rock album. And I say that, of course, because I think that time is really math rock's greatest enemy. And I, I like math rock. I've dabbled in it before, a lot recently especially, but John actually has to be credited as the only one of us to actually bring a math rock album onto the show in all this time. Chronicles of Marnia by Marnie Stern way back in episode 62, which I liked quite a bit. Yeah, and I, 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 it was an experiment that I brought to the podcast just to try to do something that I felt at the time was completely different for us. It was a successful experiment that you felt the need not to further in two years. Well, I, three. <laughs> I, I very, I, I very hard turned towards electronica recently. You, yes, you have. In, in recently, is, I mean the last true. two years. All right, well, I'm picking up where you left off, but I, I, I state this little problem. I guess this, this time factor is because with all the albums out there, despite the, the fact that I really like the sound of math rock, there's a lot of crossover there. You know, between post rock, prog rock, and alt rock. I, I still maintain that the, the time problem. It's the challenge with many forms of music in all seriousness. But concerning math rock, it's actually kind of funny. You might say, well with all these ideas just being churned out in the math rock genre at breakneck speed, you think math rock of all things would hold your attention and thus lend itself to a longer structure, much like prog rock. Well, sure, if everything's nicely balanced, and then that's 100% true. But I still find that there's the risk of letting the great ideas get lost in the pack of other great ideas. You never want to become numb to greatness. And we don't want to have an episode where that's all we have to say in an album's favor, is that these are very talented musicians. And we've had that before. Yeah. And we definitely come to that point where we're like, these guys are really good at what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Especially around uh, the fifth or sixth or seventh piece of an album, this fifth or sixth or seventh track where we're going, and what else do we have to say? Yeah, I think if we're repeating ourselves that many times, it's probably an indicator that there's a problem. Uh, Also, it means that all their hard work is in vain. And honestly, with the amount of time it must take to map out these time signatures, write all the parts, learn the parts, lay down all the tracks, it's just got to be so time-consuming above that of all other genres. Think about it. It's called math rock. These artists no doubt take pride in the process and often treat their songwriting like our former guest Mike Rugnetta had actually put it, a problem that needs solving. And so to have all that fall in deaf ears must be deathly disheartening. And I think that's why, this is just a theory, there are a lot of math rock bands I noticed with very short discographies. Just like a handful of projects, attempts at magnum opuses, perhaps even just one album, a blip in time, and then the whole band is kaput, can't find them, lost to history. Almost as if that one project had actually 
sucked the life out of them. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But as of yet, I can only find one album by today's artist, but that's not fair because the, the band itself is kind of brand new, or the album at least is brand new. It was released in January, so who knows what's in store for the band's future. The artist is called Snooze. Based out of Chicago, I think, and the album is called Actually Extremely. Uh, now, based on what I just said, I do normally like to avoid freshman releases uh, because, you know, we like to see what bands do in the prime of their careers. And for many artists, debuts are just a step beyond demos. So it's a little bit unfair. They might be in the learning stage or be green to the industry and paired with a crappy producer. And certainly we don't want to sit here and nitpick to novices. But uh, that's not really applicable today if you've made it through the album. And anything we do say, I, I hope gets taken in the helpful spirit. Ultimately, there was just too much of interest here to... For me to avoid this album. And I do want to say in the realm of useless and unnecessary awards and knowledge, Snooze might be my favorite band's name to say, because it's Snooze. 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 It's nice and short. You know, I just got the joke, actually. <clears throat> I'm going to press the Snooze button. I'm going to press play. I'm going to put on Snooze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's not that funny. But, no, it's not. But but still, it, it does win the award. Actually, it probably represents the fact that they seem to have a lot of restarting associated with their music. So it's like you listen to it and then you hit the button and nine minutes later it starts all over again. That nine is minutes true. Later. They do have about 25 minutes news buttons. Yeah. yeah that is true. You, you, you could do it. Well, it, it, actually, it could work. It could work. That actually brings me to my next point quite neatly because of that thesis that I previewed concerning how concise read short this album is. And for once, I don't believe it's for want of ideas. I also don't think I'd be giving too much away yet to say that this hardly looks like magnum opus material either, at a glance. Just because, at only 24 minutes long, this album is shorter than many EPs. Can it be a magnum opus at that length? Maybe it can, maybe it can, I don't know. We're only a few minutes into this thing, so what am I going to tell you? But to clarify, this also isn't a case of two changes either. There's no large-scale, movement-esque tracks to make up for its lack of length. It's just seven tracks, averaging three and a half minutes apiece. And that either says very strongly, that's all we could come up with, or that's all it needed. So, in conclusion, I thought this album was interesting enough to confront these 24 minutes head-on, as we hardly ever do albums that short, run it by the two of you, and also tackle a genre that has been steadily fascinating me, and that I think we're severely overdue to revisit. All right. Well, I do want to say that on the broader scale, the fact that it is 24 minutes did also catch my attention. But then when I started listening and noticed, and we'll get into this more as we go through the album, but that more or less a lot of it does follow a fairly pop structure as far as, you know, we've got uh, to to the loosest degree. Like, yeah, I might disagree there. <laughs> well, it's to the loosest degree the fact that it's not magnum opuses. We don't have long pieces. These are songs. We have yeah. songs here for the most part. And that's something well, that... two pieces. Two pieces. Two pieces, five songs. Five songs. <laughs> Instrumentals, whatever. My point is is that there are songs on this album. Yeah. It's not just a overly complex instrumental two-parter. There's more depth to this in a unique way. I got a point on that, actually, but that won't, we won't get to that until we get to the first track. Before that, we have to get to the album art. Although I, I do want to mention the band members, because sometimes the band members listed, I would like to get this out. Especially if they're a debut group, then maybe I should just, you know, put their names on the internet if they're not already. They are at least where I'm reading them on Bandcamp. Getting to it, Peter Papas, Logan Voss, Cameron Grom, uh, and then on guitars and keys is Logan Bass's Cameron. Drums are Ben West, and the trumpetist is Jack Burnett. We have a trumpetist. Also, the mix and mastering engineer is Jarrett Prishgoda, I think, and it was recorded at Sleeping Bear Studios, but put out by Prairie State Records. So all of those names now are being advertised. Sure. 
I mean, it's not. I'm not really saying anything in their yeah. favor. I'm just no, saying yeah. they exist. There it is. There's a thing. <laughs> Those things exist. Well, let's move on to the album art for Actually Extremely, which at a, at a first glance looks almost doodle-esque. You know, it looks like someone scribbling on a piece of paper. And that it's person not- is Brianna Utz. Now we have all the names that are present. It it isn't looking doodle esque. It is it is doodle esque, or yeah. at least it's stylized after a doodle with a slight touching here and there of uh, I want to say watercolors, mostly because it it is a piece of paper, or at least it is a picture of a piece of paper. You could tell from the actual texture and the overall style that that's what they were going for. It does for. look like watercolors. It also has a kind of a pen feel. It almost looks yeah. like some of these things could have been done in pen and the watercolors were done in the middle. I, it looks hand-drawn. Sure. Whether it was or not is hard to tell, but it yeah. definitely looks like it was hand-drawn. And well, of yeah. course, it's depicting someone in a bed reaching for the snooze button. But it isn't just <laughs> depicting them. It has almost a uh, multi-exposure kind of relief mm-hmm. going on when you can see... An illusion of mo- movement, too. Multiple iterations of the face actually showing up from lying down to leaning forward to actually lifting your head up the arms seem to have multiple positioning over time it is sort of uh, multi snapshots like i said an overexposure of multiple scenes at once also the snooze is set for 3 p.m i relate to this album five stars <laughs> right because you like a not not normal human <laughs> sleeps true. all day this is true um steve is a cat you've heard it here first steve's a cat he sleeps all day yeah. do you like warm sunbeams meow <laughs> there we go um but i do want to point out actually it's interesting what's chosen to be colored in and not like for example one of the arm iterations is fully colored in thickly and darkly whereas another other one is not incomplete. Yeah, it's yeah. just it, you could barely even see the top of that forearm. It, yeah. I, it's not even drawn here. I don't yeah. know if that got lost in the in the copying or the printing process, or if that was the artistic approach here to I'm just saying, do this very loosely and make it look as if it was a, a doodle. I'm going to assume it was the artistic approach, uh, only because it's it occurs too often in multiple iterations. One of the foreheads is barely there. It's, there's a large gap in it. It's almost like a, a, a laser effect when you're it, a little bit of a thing as an aside, uh, laser art, when done in large screens or through fog or something like that, this is a normal uh, idea for this new-ish kind of artwork, uh, it doesn't ever quite look 100% complete because it's actually a line of light in the air, drawing it out very rapidly. And that loses some edges, loses some extra lines as you're looking at it. So in another way, it's almost as if we're getting that sort of effect. Um, once again, to go back to photography, almost an after image kind of effect of what's going on, where light's hitting, and then what's sticking to the paper is just a little bit here, a little bit there, lost in translation. Well, it's interesting the choices also of like the background imagery, like under where the nightstand is, it looks like an almost carpet-esque pattern, but nowhere else, just under that image, which would technically be blocked if it was a photo of a nightstand. Also, like, right by the bed area, it seems like there's a little bit of carpeting or rug or floor space Well, it looks like the night table, the nightstand night table is transparent. I've never seen a transparent night table. Or that, too, yeah. And then there's just the random green arm. Yeah, I don't know how to take that piece. That piece is just a little bit like... That's an oddball. Yeah. I I, I don't know, but I'm actually, actually really enticed by the way the title is presented. Snooze, very lightly drawn in there. Actually, comma, extremely, very understated, all lowercase, Mm -hmm. very small lettering, kind of lost in the mishmash of everything else. I like it when they go with simplistic designs like this. It isn't the be-all, end-all, greatest album art cover I've ever seen. But for the genre of music, for the rigidity of following along with 
the chaos of the math involved in these time signatures. It's actually a very appropriate style of art to mesh this, up with those ideas. This leans in the direction of an art style that I really, really like. For instance, this gets close to sort of what we saw on Eno by Second Relation. Mm -hmm. It gets a little bit close to that with that sort of light or, or really graphite drawing, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it almost looked as loose in this. That was just a little bit ref more refined and also a little bit more grayscale. You don't have this watercolor effect, but it, this leans closer to that, and I think that may be one of uh, my favorite album covers so far. So, yeah, this is, uh, this is on the right direction. And I think it's interesting where the artist chose to have space, to put shapes. I think, again, as someone who used to doodle <coughs> all the time on his notes in class, like, I can, I, I, f there's some kind of like hominess to this, like familiarity to it that kind of brings me into it because I, it looks like something I might have done or something that I might have dabbled in when or I was something drawing. I kind of used to do on there, but I never right. actually had more than one color to work with, so that was a big problem. Also, the state of the bedroom, it just looks very unrefined. You could just relate to it in terms of He's like, yeah, mattress on the floor. No, no, no. His alarm is perpendicular. PM. That, Come on. that yeah, of yeah. course, and then him being perpendicular on the bed. Also. Also, interestingly, this hair that flows like waterfalls. I can't, I can't make heads or tails of that. Whether that is actually supposed to be sort of something separate happening there, or whether this is actually his funky hairdo. Because yeah, otherwise, it's, everything it's, else about this is like almost, you know, run of the mill. It's, it's, a, it's a normal scene, except for that. That is a, a unique spark of individuality. And some of the shapes too just seem kind of like space, shapes in space with no real actual purpose. All right. But yeah, I would say that it's, it's just enough odd and unique to make it intriguing. But let's uh, dive a little deeper. I will say, Steve, that I was actually surprised really quick before we get into the first track that you pick something so short. Usually like these giant manuscripts of albums, and now we've got something condensed and doesn't, compact. Doesn't that tell you something about this? <laughs> it terrified <laughs> me, to be honest. And within the first few seconds of the first track, Who Boy, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Well, terror terror think... is one thing. Terror is definitely one thing. Yeah. Terror. I don't know if I heard terror, but I did I did have this experience. You know, you'd think with an album this short, they would just cut right to the chase and go into their, their I guess, their usual material. But you mm -hmm. can't say what's usual for the debut album of an artist. But out of seven tracks, it's just interesting to me that we have this whole track, track one, at only two minutes and 14 seconds long, that is devoted to a curious, curious instrumental electronic intro. Mm -hmm. Now, now now, first I should say that I'm glad I continued deeper into and also beyond this track when I was surveying albums initially, because although I was thoroughly fascinated by this piece, and I'll get into why, it wasn't too left field of anything I'd expect from an electronica artist, and so it wasn't yet fitting my math rock criteria, which was my mission at the time. But let's just put that on hold for a moment, because starting off, we get about five full seconds of gramophone-like static, the kind of soft white noise you hear from a needle as it's spiraling toward the grooves or away from them, uh, which can kind of be likened to waves gently crashing against the shoreline. That's another sensation I got. And then after a pronounced pause, just a definite splice in space, the track erupts into what I would call a, a quirky commentary on synthesized material. And because I play piano, my brain went to, and I think actually most brains would, honestly, because the joke is pretty self-apparent, it goes uh, back to a keyboard that actually has various settings on it. I own a Casio Privia from 2008, the poor thing is actually on its last legs, and also some notation software, Sibelius. So I have access to a decent amount of standard presets, and I recognized some of these right off the bat, at least as approximations. So just that sensation of cycling from instrument to instrument with that 
pause in between because you know the, the keyboard clears the buffer whenever you're transitioning from one sound to another is really just like playing a little ditty on the piano with one hand over and over while the other hand is tapping away on the up arrow key in search of some other sounds, in search of something silly or useful, uh, or even just doing the same thing at the, on the computer with any software that you have just so you could change the instrument, get a feel for how the same passage would sound in different textures, different timbres, ranging anywhere from the downright goofy to the right stuff. And this intro seems to explore that process of trial and error that every musician will fall back on now and again, just cycling through options until something leaps out and begs to be pursued. Part of this may even have been produced in that fashion, only with a bit more control. It's just that simple a concept, though. Other parts of this are not so simple. Yeah, within those first 15 seconds or so, I thought I was getting another electronic album that John has been torturing, I mean, providing us with <laughs> hey, for weeks. Hey, mostly been positive. Don't be mean. Bestowing, yeah. right? Mostly. Isn't that what you mean? Mostly. But, but no, seriously, it almost seemed completely random at first. It does take multiple listens to see where this is going, and we'll get to that. But definitely in the very early seconds, I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy this. But thankfully, you do get a sense of some kind of pattern shortly thereafter. It was oh. when we, I hit about the 30-second mark. Uh, and things start traveling between one ear and the other, mm -hmm. and very yeah. dramatically ramping up that traveling between one ear and, and another over the next 30 seconds, that I, I, I instantly fell in love with the idea. Not that it was the greatest piece of art I'd ever seen, mm -hmm. but I was just entranced and in love with it almost Almost instantly. It took 30 seconds for an album to just hook me. And yet it's not all at once. There's not like a definite time stamp where it all just kind of happens. Yes. And I'm not going to say that I, I don't think I was anywhere near as uh, maybe negative on it as Matt was within the first few seconds. Mm -hmm. It's not like it all completely comes around in the end for me. It was all just the steady coming together of everything. And I think part of the reason is the rhythm mm -hmm. changes going on here. And this is you know part of what I, I hinted at by saying that other parts of this are not so simple because I think what we have going on here, and I can't be 100% sure about this, uh, is that we have a case of, of a polyrhythm, sort of a, a dual approach. Again, this is math rock, so it should come as no surprise that it's going to be kind of a numbers game. You're going to get compound time signatures, you're going to get mixed meter, you're going to get polyrhythms. Polyrhythms, it's really fun stuff, really, when you look at it closely. And there are actually huge swaths of this album that don't play in the same time signature for two consecutive measures, depending upon how you count it. And although it might sound complex, the meters in the rest of this album are actually easier to deduce than this particular track. Because when you get to song format, you know, lyrics have to be set to it, so it's just a little bit more regular. Still really jumpy, but it is regular. It's just a counting game in alternate sets. We'll get to all of that later. But this first track is the exception, and by exception I mean it had me seriously stumped for a while. The thing is, because of everything I said in the beginning about it cycling through sounds, especially within just the first 16 seconds, it really shrouds the accent marks. Nothing sticks around long enough for you to get the feel quite yet. And so I tried to count along to this track very unsuccessfully at first. I tried counting this in duple meter, or in two, only because in trying to reverse engineer this track, I went to the end. And not to give it away, but spoilers, this track goes cleanly into track two. So I could tell that the pulse of the outro as it was going into track two was securely at 148 beats per minute. Uh, I think, actually, they slowed it down just a couple notches. But still, I tried to use that pulse to try to count the beginning, and coming up with a series of time signature variants, which were all, I think, a little bit off, until I realized that I think 
there's a huge triple meter component to this, and that right there is what a polyrhythm is, is doing both at once. There may actually be a transition where for a while this is in triple meter, and then it starts overlapping with dupameter, and then it gets to dupameter by the time you get to the very, very end. It's a very, very strange uh, thing that they're doing. And I may be overcomplicating this, I may be undercomplicating it, I don't honestly know. It really just comes down to the composer and what he had in his head. Well, one of the big factors in making the time signature so difficult to get in the beginning of the piece, for the first minute or so, is that there's a, a heavy decay on the actual rhythm itself at the at the completion end. It seems to die off as we're going through the different uh, calibers of sounds and each one is being presented to us, a lot of times it becomes clipped towards the end. So you miss a beat. You're not actually listening to that beat because something is a little bit askew or there's a little bit of a whine or a little bit of a screech. And sometimes it feels like that pause or that screech or that missing isn't quite the amount of time it should be. That's where the real big issue yeah. is in the count. Well, we're going to get no shortage of that on the rest of the album, but even this was uh, well and beyond that. I mean, it, honestly, the, just the first 16 seconds, as I said, were like altered group 6, 2, 9, 5, 6, 6, 6, 5, you know? It's it's absolutely crazy if, you're, if I was counting it correctly. And then finally, I found myself in a nice, firm triple meter segment where everything seemed to be in 9, enter the... The, the point that you just brought up, where you have an insertion, something that just is a little bit off, a measure of nine, a measure of nine is at the 16 second mark, Net measure of nine, measure of nine, and then a measure of 716. So essentially what you get is this beautiful like triple meter segment. You can kind of flow, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That is, that is glorious, absolutely glorious. And you don't see enough of that in music because people are afraid to do this. They're afraid they're gonna get cut off. They're afraid they're not gonna be able to do it live. Of course, this is the intro. This is a instrumental thing. So it's, it's purely for studio. If they do this live, I, I need to see it. I need to go to Chicago. <laughs> I mean, there's no guarantee that they don't. But one thing that uh, follows up with all of this and what actually got me intrigued in this piece, because again, I don't know that I was sold on, let's say, enjoying it, but I was definitely interested, is that these moments created this kind of vignette feeling, this idea of short little skits almost, because it ended the way it did, and they <coughs> almost seemed not connected at first. Well, that's in this changing of the yeah. different sounds within the first 16 seconds. Yeah. Vignettes is a perfect way to put it. And as it progresses, though, you do still get these changes of the sounds, and it doesn't quite go through the same scattering of, all right, we got to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. But it does keep reinventing itself, reinventing the caliber of noise that you're hearing. It keeps the rhythm, though, and that's what I really start honing in on, the fact that the rhythm does maintain itself over the course of this piece. Well, it does and it doesn't. There's that middle part <laughs> where I think you're in full-blown polyrhythm and they overlap, where I am not 100% sure if they did keep it consistent. I still could have missed it, and maybe they shifted something just slightly in order to force it into the end. But at that point, it really doesn't matter because you're just kind of immersed in that, in that rolling sensation that just goes through the middle of this, and you come out at the end, and I notice all of this... It seems to be in major. It all seems to come back to this, this warm resolution feeling. And it's because of that long form that's in the middle of it that the melody really emerges out of, that the actual crux of the piece really emerges out of. Even though the rhythm never quite goes away, even though what we do settle on, which is sort of like an, an E-piano versus strum combination between the two major sounds that compose this, that warmth, that long form 
I don't know what it did to blanket across all these various rhythm ideas or rhythmic changes or anything like that, but it was... You took us through a wormhole or something, because when you come out of the other end, you feel like it made sense somehow. But it was really that point that cemented to be one of the most enjoyable introductions to any album I've listened to, not just on the show, but like in general. It was just... So fulfilling to hear that. that is a, and know that there's so much more to come. That is a big start. So yeah, see, I want to focus on the fact that, for me, it wasn't necessarily enjoyable, but it was absolutely satisfying once I got it. Because upon the first few listens, I didn't get that the smaller pieces eventually make up the whole at the end. But after listening to it over and over again, you really can get a sense that it's the sum of its parts. And that's a really cool experience, because it does feel very completionist, almost. The fact that you have all of these pieces that eventually come together Together and layer in to create this melody that then goes right into the first v- track with vocals, track two. It just is really cool to see happen. Uh, but I it, see nothing yet. <laughs> but it doesn't feel like a build, and that's the that's the real key. It doesn't feel like they're going through a standard build of all right, we're gonna. Well, get no, drums, because it goes from gonna... zero to a hundred and thousand in seconds, like almost on a beat. It goes from pieces to a whole, and that's what's really cool is that you're suddenly listening to parts and then you're suddenly listening to cohesive melody almost comprised of those parts and it happens in a series of stages like it happens a little bit at that 16 second mark but then uh, it's still a little bit disjointed you kind of a little bit more into it but then it's really about halfway through the piece where again i start feeling like we've just switched over to dupameter at some point and i feel like they're both working together but slightly getting offset and i'm not 100 percent sure there i mean you know it was a busy week (laughs) i was spending so much time analyzing certain parts i had to kind of put others aside but it was uh it was enthralling to me, and I, I think the transition at the very, very end as we go into track two, Schrodinger's Dimebag, was equally in, enthralling, or rather relaxing, because of course we go into a very different style at the mm-hmm. moment. Let's try to do this by the numbers, because once we're in Schrodinger's Dimebag, another great title here, uh, the vocals. We have vocals as of the very first beat, Yeah. and uh, that's actually what I'd like to begin on, because we've got to go through the stages here. Vocals first. I have a confession. When I first heard the vocals, I was like, oh, it's just a dude, you know, because the vocals have this plain voiced, no frills approach. It's almost flat and dispassionate to start out. It actually led me to think of many other bands in the indie and post-punk community. It's a very youthful tone, youthful dispassion. Mm -hmm. It was, for me, just immediately connected to early abandoned pools. I I Mm. almost hear... Uh, a replication going on of that vocal style from the earlier pre pre twenty ten era of abandoned pools. And see, for me, it actually reminded me of an album I looked at. Well, it's probably several years ago now, but Finch's newest album. They are post punkers, pop punkers, whatever you want to call it, who have grown and made more kind of indie rock and roll music, and this very much felt like that kind of style. I would, a little whiny, but flat. Without his signature twang that isn't like any other artist out right. there, Colin Malloy is yeah. one that comes to mind. Ben Gibbard is actually another that comes to mind. Sure, because of the flatness. Because of the flat, the little flat end there. I mean, yeah. you, it's amazing how much you know they do while just working with that, because yeah. in another time, that wouldn't have been considered, you know, the, the prime singing touch. It wouldn't have been right. considered that thing. Thing, but now, of course, we're we're a little more used to it, which is why, of course, this this sort of led me to a little bit of an associative bias. Not necessarily against those artists. I love Colin Malloy, but that's a very specific kind of thing. Um, but the bias comes from the fact with the music that many of much of that singing is typically paired with. I never disliked the vocals themselves, but I think of that style of vocals as being paired with a lot of boring four chord progressions, power chords, and song arcs that don't really go anywhere. 
Not the case here. And for a variety of reasons, this song sort of unstuck my bias from its happy housing and messed with it like silly putty, so that by the time this verse was completed, I was singing along to his youthful, dispassionate vocals as if he were one of my favorite singers. And that's where I think Steve was going to have problems with what Matt may have mentioned earlier about pop. Like, there's really no form of pop in the vocal delivery or the lyrical styles. It's very freeform. They just flow from section to section to section. And that's something to remember that while it's a three minute, ten second song, it's in the pop sizing and it has a pop presentation. Right. I would argue that vocals like that are presented in the pop mainframe now because people like Ben Gibbard have become pop stars. They weren't always he wasn't always, but now for sure because his his songs True, but I don't have the same difficulty like in terms of wondering, you know, what a certain section of a song serves in a in a Death Cab Cutie album. Sure, of course. This is uh, well let's to start off here, this is a verse that goes into a chorus, but it does it in a very, very unique way. So getting back to my point about how the bias was sort of completely unstuck, it has to do with uh, so many reasons. I'm going to try to get these reasons out. This is sort of a rant on how I, after just the first verse and chorus, I was singing along to him 100%. First of all, of course, time signature is a big thing. That really, you know, 5-4 is what we're in here, just to start off. 5-4 time signature, which provides a really, really unique canvas for long, engaging melodies. The melodies don't feel fixed. They feel free to move about, because even if you're totally admired in the Prague and math rock and Russian late romantic scenes, you know, where adaptable time signatures are the rule, it still seems that the brain will naturally seek out four. And that's our great failing, I think, as listeners, which I think we're obliged to challenge. Uh, So that's one simple reason why it really, really works for me. Another is the instrumentation. Because over that 5-4 time signature, at, again, 148 beats per minute, you have that warm, slightly distorted coating between the bass and the guitars. And by 10 seconds, uh, by the time the drums get a little bit heavier, the bass gets considerably grungier at the same time. It's just a great undercurrent. And then beginning at 15 seconds in, 15 seconds, uh, we complete a full phrase. Now you might say, we even complete really verse 1 and continue cleanly into verse 2 at this point, and not just phrase 1, phrase 2. It's just one way to view it, I'm not sure, but to bulk up this phrase 2, verse 2, whatever, over the second chord. It's because it's only a, a two chord progression, E major 7 and D major 7. So really 1 major 7 and flat 7 major 7, sort of Mixolydian thing going on. But then later we pivot to C major, I think, so really we're just crawling down whole steps. What you, ha- what you get here is these falling guitar patterns. It's especially beautiful on the second chord, on that D major 7, so second phrase, second measure, second chord at 20 seconds. And it just concludes beautifully on that 7th scale degree, fitted neatly over those five chords. The, the guitar pattern, the falling pattern, it's, almost, it's like a waterfall each and every time. I love it. So you have that to focus on amidst this verse. And then finally, the, the final reason is actually two reasons that I sort of rolled into one. One being the song structure itself, the large, you know, seeing the Forest for the trees, uh, starting with just the development from the verse into the chorus, that's all I'm going to be touching on right now, and then also fusing together the development of the vocals themselves. So, you know, after a nice, clean eight measures of 5-4, the reason that phrase, your light is in the line of my sight, I've got nothing to hide, feels so conclusive. The reason that line feels so conclusive is because he repeats the line even more dismissively as I've got nothing, yeah, you know, with that that vocal style we talked about before. And that just feels like, yeah, all right, he's finished. That's what I would almost call verse verse one or, or phrase one, however you see it. And while he never completely abandons that flat approach, it's, it's just it's his natural vocal timbre, it does get teased 
a little bit because right at the start of phrase two, verse two, whatever, we're harmonizing suddenly, separated in each ear. It's just a beautiful twist. We get two vocalists, or him or himself, I'm not sure. And because of that decisive start there at the beginning of verse two, phrase two, whatever, you might think, ah, this is going to be another eight measures of 4-4, four, four, like any other song in the world. Nope, it's just half that. Four measures only is what we get, and then a single transition measure, easily identifiable by those prompting eighth notes right on the kick drum. Fittingly, the lyric almost, almost, so we don't hear the rest. We restart it as if another full phrase were to begin. I'm just getting home. Nope, we don't even complete the word home. This is a two-measure phrase, so we've gone half of a half now, and now we get another three measures of that transition material, amping up the drama of getting home, repeating the line, you know, belting the line, I'm just getting home, I'm just getting home, with the final measure, the final measure right before the what I'm going to call the chorus, uh, I assume just double pedal all the way. Double pedal on the kick, 16th notes, prompting us enthusiastically for the chorus. A mixed meter climax, alternating groups of 5-4 and 6-4, with the vocals just belting and holding out the word home, the last word from the previous verse, refusing to let that climax dwindle amidst this more subdued chorus chant. The lyrics, stay in the line, stay straight ahead, fear is just fine as fuel for confidence. Repeat that. And the only dwindle we get here from that climax, from that loud home, the loud crash of home, is another beautiful, harmonized closing in of the vocals. A gentle, gorgeous vocal glissando. I believe they close in from the tonic and the fifth to the seventh and the third. A fifth interval down to a fourth interval. Ooh, I just melted at this moment. And we're on track two, which is after the intro, so it's really almost like the first piece of content. Well, yeah, well, especially considering how seamlessly Who Boy blends into this track, and the fact that the only hint to me when I was listening to it on my commute this morning was the track separation by vocals. I assumed that when those vocals came in, we were at a new track. But also, I want to jump back to one thing you mentioned, as I know me and John are just going to be playing catch-up for the next 10 minutes, <laughs> is you mentioned the chorus, finger quotes, because, again, it's a lot of... We guess that's what that is. It's not really that defined, but it has one of my favorite lines for sure in the song and possibly on the record, which is, fear is just fine as a fuel for confidence. Yep. And I love that line because I relate to it so hard. It's not it's adrenaline. This, yeah, yeah. It's not need. that because the context is <clears throat> I'm almost positive this individual is driving home under the influence of something illegal and uh, is potentially going to do something really stupid. So it's probably going about 20 miles an hour in a 50 uh, with the lights on at, at full intensity, going really close and talking almost into the steering wheel as he's talking to himself. Got to gotta make a turn right here, right? And every once in a while glancing in the back to make sure he's not getting pulled over by the cops. Allegedly. I may have a personal experience on this, but we're going to pretend <laughs> I don't. I think that's not a bad interpretation of this. Because I was just f thinking, you know, just thinking, oh, he's, he's, going, he's going home. What a, what a drama for this, you yeah. know, for getting home. It would make sense if you needed to, you know, bring in all the questions of fear and focus and confidence into that scenario. It, it may be. It's the fact that it's not just the eighth notes and 16th notes that show up with it with the kick drum as we go along with this verse it's the fact that the guitar's intensity is actually increasing the bass's intensity is actually increasing this is a f all rise to a climax yeah there are high stakes verse, here in when we music. go from verse to chorus it, it really is paralleling the idea of doing something extremely stupid 
and mm-hmm. worrying about it. But it's not just the first verse or the chorus, but it's the follow-up lines. Come to think of it, I may be more at risk than I thought. Those words, those are the ones that really hit home for me. Right. Because it's a moment of self-reflection and self-understanding that you kind of don't see coming with this sort of concept. You don't really see coming with this level of intensity in all the music. Even when it's low-key, even when things start falling apart and getting broken up, and it's, quote, easy for the amount of stuff that's going on, that's very, very self-aware. And I love I love everything about it. I love his presentation. And then what's going on with the rhythm section, once again, it's starting to get extremely complicated, alternating between three counts and four counts, back and forth, back and forth, and then going back to that 5-4 for two measures, and really just continuously mixing it up. This is just enthralling. It feels like everything is just falling apart because it does not know where to stay. I don't know what this individual's heart is doing, but it's erratic. It's beating all over the place because that kick drum just will not go away. And I'm loving that it's not going away. Yeah, it, it's a pretty strong uh, just through line for the track. I, I, I mean, interestingly, this climax is relatively early for the entire track. You know, right. there's a lot of kind of mathy jamming as this continues. You know, that part that you read before that, uh, come to think of it, I may be more at risk than I thought. That's what I kind of see as a bridge or even like a little post-chorus thingy. I, I, it just serves its little purpose and it sticks to 5-4 here, uh, like three measures of it and then I think another three measures of it, except for just an added beat. The very last one is, is six for uh and that's that's the one that actually transitions brings us into our instrumental at only a minute and 10 seconds all that stuff is just a minute and 10 seconds and here we just have more mixed meter more more stuff it's yeah. alternating between three four and four four using mostly guitar and drumsticks but the the drums are playing on the end of the beat so you get that that woody clicking sound between the the sticks and the guitar it's just this great sonic effect almost like a, like a simple machine or a toy that goes through its mechanical cycle it's extremely Extremely tight, but we've also taken down the volume from that climax uh, momentarily to just zone out to this for for a while. And what's really interesting to me about this part is this is where I think I start to hear the most of the pop punk or indie vibe, at least in the instruments tonality. They're definitely doing something a lot more complex or interesting, but for sure there are notes and structures here that I find familiar from other songs that I've heard. That said, they're doing things I have never heard before in succession, and I think that's what makes it really interesting is it's a tone that I can latch onto, Mm -hmm. a sound I can latch onto, sort of like when you first brought me Godsticks. I was like, oh, this is just grunge, and you went, but Matt, it's not just grunge. I went, no, no, but it's grunge. But it's the idea that I can find a familiarity in something that's overly complex to then continue to process it. Just since you brought up God 6, I'm going to say it right now. This is the only album yet on the podcast that is more rhythmically, rhythmically complex than yeah, God Sticks. For sure, I would it, it actually is a little bit more so. Even though they were working in a longer form, this, this is dense. It's denser. There's more <laughs> stuff happening per moment. Well, and it's primarily, you're going to find it in this section of just musical expansion. As it goes through, I, I likened it to maybe not pop punk or or a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Just like the the greatest hits from alt rock of the nineties. Well, yeah, like, I mean, but you got to think. I mentioned indie rock. Essentially, modern indie rock is alt rock now. And it's like two measures of this and two yeah. measures of that and three measures of this and four measures of that and going back and forth, back and forth. But the through line, the general feel of the rhythm itself, even though we're doing three, four, 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 five, four, six, four, like <laughs> we're going through the motions of all these different 
like rhythmic styles, rhythmic attacks, yet the rhythm remains cohesive. And that's what's what's so magical about this section. I don't feel like anything is really disjointed, even though I all I can do is just count how many beats there are, not not how many how they're subdivided. Well, because they're not jerks, you know, they they know that it takes at least a few measures of some sort of pattern in order to keep people engaged. And although I think maybe that was the only problem that maybe Matt had with track one is because track one actually does start really convoluted. Yeah. I think that may be the most all over the place, but then they start to settle into patterns damn near complex patterns, but patterns nonetheless. Like, we start gradually ramping up the energy, the drums step in after the eight, eight cycles of the 3444 thing, but then they come in on the pickup. See, that's a little tasteful thing to, to just mess with you. The pickup means it's the last beat of that particular cycle, the last beat leading you in to the next cycle. And so the fourth beat is where they enter, it just throws you off because they're doing sort of an oompa 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 thing here, but they didn't start on the one, they started on the four. So you hear four and boom, on, and you have to you have to keep with it, you have to know where you're counting. And uh, it just, it just a, does a great job to keep this interesting. They're indulging with this section quite a bit, and honestly, they've earned it. It's sort of a mathy journey until the end of the song. Six, four, seven, four, do that three times. A three four transition, then a six four eight four. Ah, uh, lovely, lovely. <laughs> and and also, as we get to the end of the song, something that I want to say about my listening experience is at this point. So one to two, I had a sense of there being a break, but from two to three, no clue. I had no idea when we hit the third track until probably about halfway through when I looked at my phone and went, "How long is this track?" Oh, it's a different track. And that's um, all because of the coda. Yeah, the, the coda, coda blends so beautifully into the intro of the next track. You can barely even tell there's a space. It's primarily because they love screwing up with everything and just being able to throw you for another loop. It makes sense in a lot of ways to actually blend from one piece to another. As you're doing this entire album because well they already did it the first time from one to two and in the second track they they keep screwing it up half a dozen times now the major through lines primarily in the rhythm section remains the same but this coda what it does is it kind of turns everything on its head by going single beat single beat it's four four essentially they count this to four four this is easily just four groups of four four to the end of the track I turn slowly into my driveway. I don't check if it's there until the next day. I was singing along to this, you know, at this point, you know, that whole thing that I started with, that monstrous little anecdote that I told about my experience with this and how I came around on, on the vocals, that associative bias, and that hasn't just been shattered at this point, it's been incinerated, <laughs> absolutely incinerated, because these are just gorgeous vocals right as we slip into track three. This is snooping as usual, I see, and ping is all in caps, and so is as. At least that's how it is in the band camp and not in the Spotify. Eh, I'm going to trust this, only because this actually put an apostrophe in Strodinger's, so I'm going to trust it a little bit more. <laughs> Um, we know how be. important grammar is that's, to you. That's right. But I, this really does become a, a thing on this album that I'm consistently enjoying, the way certain tracks transition right in. Mm -hmm. It's actually, it's not even so much of a transition. It's more that by the time you're in the next track, you get a sense that the previous track was all just a setup for this. Or, or even ex an extended intro. But it seems intro. like the first track was a setup for that. So <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. you, you had thought that when the track begun. So, you know, it's just this staging, the, yeah. this, the revealing that I love. The door behind the door. And I so rarely hear that on albums. The coda uh, that I just read of the previous track almost feels like it's a prologue for this particular intro. Yeah. And, oh, this is just math heaven. And although I may not have this 100% down, what I did surmise that it adds up. This 
basically, if you're counting this uh, at uh, 116 beats per minute, that's what I got, uh, and that's your 4-4, if, if the quarter note gets 116 beats per minute, then the opening six seconds of this, just six seconds, might just be, well... Six beats, uh, six of those quarter notes, uh, whether that's 4-4 four, four plus 2-4, or a full 6-4, or three groups of 2-4, I don't know. But then, following that, oh, we work in a much smaller scale. We work at the 16th note level. It's this rapid-fire 3-16-2-16-2-16. I love this crap. Absolutely love this. And we get that four times, but with an added 4-16 at the very, very end, or an added beat, essentially. That's just six seconds, and what a six seconds it was. Yeah, I mean, I liked the drums in the first track. Here, my head has exploded. Like, I love yep. good drums, as I've mentioned many a time on the show. But that, plus the way the guitar... The guitar, once it comes in, has a different timbre than it did in the previous track. It sounds a little different. It sounds kind of bouncier, more in the vein of pop punk, even more so than beforehand. Yeah, and I also want to bring up uh, something else that's present there, which comes kind of through line for the album, and that is the use of those drumsticks. Yeah. I mentioned it in the last track, but that's also the here in the almost. beginning. That like it's right here in that first uh, those first six beats that I mentioned. Like the last the last two of those beats is just the 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 sticks are almost faster than than you can comprehend, and then it goes right in. Like yeah. that's probably at thirty second note level. Or, or 64th. I don't know. That's a lot of notes. Yeah. yeah. We're saying the drummer is extremely good. Yes. Extremely, extremely, extremely good. good. But after this a heavy attack on the drums and on the rhythm, I like the groove. Everything kind yeah. of just levels it out. It mellows out a bit, yeah. Which uh. is, it was extremely needed. It was a beautiful release. I needed that release yeah. because it was getting a little bit on the intense side. And while intensity is not something that's new on this album... Going that rapid with that much rhythm section, I need it a little bit. We need something. So having the guitar come in and having the bass pair with it so beautifully was just... It was just awesome. At I this have, point, I was just mellow and going along with everything. Yeah. I have a very funny story, actually, for what you just brought up and the fact that it, it, it just kind of mellows out. The, mm -hmm. the it, it's not that they drag down the pace. You know, it just returns to 4-4. Four, four. We're not in that crazy 16th thing. We're not in 316, 2-16, 2-16. It's 4-4 four, four now, but not quite. It actually even feels half that pace because, well, right, let's, let's have some fun here. The time signature here in one interpretation has three measures of 4-4 four, four and one measure of 3-4. And you repeat that twice. So 4-4-4-4-4-4, four, 3-4, four, 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 and then again, 4-4-4-4-4-4-3-4. Four, 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 four. But yet, that's about twice as fast as I actually end up moving to this. Because, of course, if you were to cut this in half, you know, and reduce your 4 down to 2 then what would you do with that pesky 3-4 measure? Would that become 1.5? You can't, you can't do you can't that do in music. That. It doesn't work that way. And yet that's how I feel it. Because sure, the crash cymbal is just blasting away on every single quarter, and the vocals also favor those quarters. But the kick and the snare, or maybe it's a different drum, are alternating and pairing up in these thuds that end up like a punching bag every half note two beat intervals. So it's really just like an accent mark every other quarter. That's really what's happening, um, except for the little 3-4 exception. But it subtly overtakes the quarter note components in pulse, so that with everything that's going on, I gravitate every single time to slow burning this, this verse. Mm -hmm. Just a cool sway from side to side on every other beat in sync with that thud, which comes out at a languid 58 beats per minute. Ah. And going back to that verse that you're talking about, I think one of my first favorite, because there are multiple favorite vocal moments on this album, is when these when this verse comes in, the in tandem singing, which is rampant in pop punk and indie music, 
because of everything else that's with it, even though it is technically a cliche and I'd be remiss not to bring it up, the reason that it sounds great is A, the way the voices play together and play together with this music we're getting just takes it to another level that I don't even care that there's in tandem singing. It works so well here. If it's a, cl a cliche, so be it. It's, it's not even that it's... A, a cliche here. I mean, they're not harmonizing. They're not directly harmonizing. Well, I know one. that's I, that's why I said in tandem singing. And usually, yeah, I would agree that sometimes that that sort of offset singing style, that that back and forth kind of repartee, I care that it actually is here because they're both coming off a little bit on the flatter side. They're not. They didn't. They didn't gain a whole level of Pavarotti's skill right here just to be able to belt out awesomeness the way some singers seem to be able to do. But the fact that they're actually working together without really harmonizing is what really propels the two of them forward. They're, they're doing it around, uh, using the chorus over and over again, but keeping it offset enough. And since they're both kind of flat and they're still maintaining that flatness, it, it works, at least for the music's concern. Well, yeah, because when I say that they're singing in tandem, I mean the singing is happening in tandem at the same time, but they are not singing the same line. So it's not harmonizing, it just comes across as an around, like in Row, Row Your Boat. And that's really interesting or because... Like half of Blink-182's right. early career yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that. Which is, is what I was d talking yeah. about. But it's just, it's so compelling here with the insane guitar and drum work that's going on behind it. Plus it works with the actual content of this section. Did we even do anything? Just go up there and accept the thing. Someone else do it. I don't like public speaking. Versus, hurry up, the whole room is clapping. What is this even for? Hurry up, the food is getting cold. Now, okay, I'm not singing it or belting or drawing it out the way they are, but it's it's the juxtaposition between the kind of blasé attitude that's coming out of his mouth, which works for the flatness, versus the complexity and the sort of anxiety we're getting as the music keeps propelling it forward and forward, because we're out of this groove and we're back into that rapid guitar we're back into just like a, a, a monstrosity we're, we're we're getting amped up over and over and over again so you're feeling the anxiety without really seeing it it's sort of a generic high school student but presented very well yeah i actually had that sensation especially considering you know i have those associations with uh that vocal style i mean he sounds young in which case you think you know this is just accepting award at an auditorium or something and you're going through stage fright but you know through like a more of a teenage angst kind of perspective that's sort of how i saw it but this is sort of a second verse here at this point you know around like 39 seconds with again with the great stuttered guitars and the outstandingly tight drum work, constant clean rolls, which together with the guitars are just in, in, enchanting, and yet all the while, the, the vocals, they're, they're candid. I know that they may sound young at times, but they sound candid, and that's a really nice ju juxtaposition with the force that you just heard. Um, and with it, you get a more candid time signature. You know, this is basic 4-4 for a good while now. Throughout all of that, did we even do anything? Just go up there and accept the thing. Someone else do it. I don't like public speaking. Hurry up, the whole room's clapping. It's like 16 bars of that until finally it does get pretty energy driven by the end of it for sure. And then at a minute and 13 seconds, we bring it back down. And this is particularly fun when you look at the lyrics because I still don't think we abandoned 4-4 quite yet. It may just be another six measures of that. Uh, again, depending upon how you count it, because it's always teasing you with where the accent falls. But the reason I think this is important when you look at the lyrics is because of course he says, Hello, I don't seem to know why we're all here. Below, the audience waits with bated breath. 
with stars in their eyes the likes of which we've never seen. You know, this is almost like the world closing in on you as you finally step on stage. And so the music is reflecting that, and of course, the, the line right there, with bated breath, those little pauses, those little halts in this otherwise standard 4-4 time signature make you think it's in something crazier, something like what they'd just done, you know? But it's you wait with bated breath. And so you can fear, you feel your own breath kind of being held at this moment because you, you don't know what they're going to go into, at least not yet. And they're just kind of mulling about in this, in this anticipatory uh, realm. And then the following lines that, are, that put a close on this sort of mid-piece break rebuild. They watch your lips move ever so slightly and it starts getting drawn out. Waiting. And the way waiting is just uttered into it and the explosion that happens is like it is another just release. We're getting so many great releases so far. Just like the building of tension is awesome. The builds are awesome. The intensity that we hit with this is just so red-faced on stage in front of the mic in the auditorium with all your classmates yeah. and everything like that. It really does a lot to personify that. So the dropout that happens right afterwards... There's sort is, of a space. Is, a space in a single drum before, boom, two minutes and seven seconds chills up and down my spine. It was it was so far... I mean, we're, we're more than a third of the way through, I want to say, of the album itself with this third track when we finish... But it was so far, like, the best to date release. Yeah. You get to keep kind of raising the stakes here. I mean, yeah, that's this problem. section <laughs> has such a procession feel, almost a brassy and woodwindy air to it. It, it lists a trumpetist as being here. I, I thought I actually heard saxes as well. Um, so, you know, they at least have the brass thing. I don't know if there are actually woodwinds, but that was the sensation when you mix it together, when it's just this stew, this gumbo of all these instruments happening at once. But it's the vocals in tandem with this that really served to give me the chills. Those final lines, you guys are too kind, you guys I can't find, right? And the repetition of that, and the and it's once again building up intensity and not as fast as before, but well, it's, it's also just... They're in the falsetto, so that's that's one of the reasons why the, the chills are just layering on because it's some, something about the sonic effect of that falsetto mixing with the woodwindy, but probably not woodwindy feel is just, it, it's a 3D sensation because the lead you also notice here, the lead gets is literally flanked by his back up singers that are set back a ways. You know, you hear it at first in the center, and then you hear all three. You hear left, right, and center. And so you're just being surrounded by the section. And I think it's also really important to mention that this midpoint to end buildup that they do could easily be very standard. Yeah. But the absolutely breakneck speed that he builds to drumming and just building and building and building and building and building really also continues to convey that anxiety build and again gives us a brilliant release once it hits full force and the words are perfect for this release so we we go again with you guys are too kind you guys i can't find words to describe how little and insignificant this award is. <laughs> wah, that was wah, that was that was wah. no, it's not a want wah. That's a trope. This was yeah, just yeah. like this was this was a thumb and an eye. Yeah, 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 if yeah. I ever saw one, this was a perfect way to really be insultive without really insulting anyone in particular. It was so just cheeky. I loved it. And we get the during this part, the guitar is doing some really interesting things, including this 
unique guitar moment that was the only time on the record that was really reminiscent to me of Godsticks because it had this kind of almost grungy tone just in that single guitar note, which was insane there was to convey a, an entire genre in a note. It was a pivot chord, uh -huh. I recall, at the very, very tail end, and I, or a little before the tail end, because it actually comes before a section that I would liken much, much more to more, not standard indie rock, but the top tier indie sure. rock, of course, because then there, there's another guitar, uh, the one where it's sort of does this two-step thing, this this little twist at the end. I, it's, it's, it's a phenomenal close to a phenomenal track. I, I feel like we've been talking about it for a million years, and yet there's still so much more to say. Yes, so let's move on to track four, Original Dog. Oh, God. <laughs> so so here in the beginning, the, the, the drums don't let up. We, we get more breakneck speed drumming just to start off. With the stick taps. Yeah. Those stick taps coming in, I'm just... I love the way they, they break up phrases. It's it's almost like they're adding in those two extra beats with the stick taps, with just that little rhythm section, just to break everything up, to allow you to just transition from the randomness of the 3, 4, 4, 4, 5, 4, 6, 4, 7, 4, 8, 4, 9, 4, whatever beat system that they're using yeah. in any particular section. So it's great to actually have a specific piece. It's almost like a screen wipe for the sound you're hearing. Yeah. yeah. That allows you to do all these breakneck transitions. And and it's it's like the timbre shift, you know, you yeah. you hear that 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 woody quality to the sticks and then all of a sudden it's in full-blown distorted metal in the guitars or whatever they want to do. So in this case, I'm going to be honest, this is one of my all-time favorite introductions or introduction to a piece rather because it actually includes the first verse. But let's build up to it with the introduction itself. Sort of a pickup to start off and then it launches into 3/4. Uh two strong guitar guitar chords and then a flourish. It's almost like a clarification. Yes, this, by this I mean that. And then this thrashing, uh, because the drums, like you mentioned, are a full blast. They've entered almost more of a punk routine, but with actually so much more energy than you'd find in traditional punk. It's all 16th notes, kick on the beat, cymbal on the end of all these 3-4 measures. Just over and over and over again. And then the coup de gras here is, of course, that little transition measure of 4-4, where just the last beat of it is our favorite drumstick moment. So it's absolutely gleeful at this point, and it's all leading up to the verse, which, despite the lyrics, is one of my gleeful highs on this album. Because when he starts singing, twiddling my thumbs until the day ends, just to wake up and go again, I can't tell if my eyes are open, feel my heart float, it's full of nothing. I am bobbing along without without restraint uh, to this section. It's almost the opposite problem that I was having in the last track, where I actually felt this twice as fast as it's probably meant to be counted. I'm bouncing around in eighths when he's really in quarters, and it's true compound meter here for one measure, 6-4, which is properly counted in three groups of two, followed by, of course, a measure of 5-4. And that, that three groups of two thing in the 6-4, that feel just caters beautifully to this melody. Twiddling my thumbs until the day ends Just to wake up and go again That little 5-4 change up at the end And thus is instantly hookable Satiating beyond imagination And that's just not That's not even counting the, the guitars in the background Which play off the motif stated in the intro I've just been craving this level of composition Songwriting does not do this group justice This is accompanied with bass That is my favorite on the album I love the bass that's going on in this earlier part of the track. Yeah. Because it becomes not pervasive, but a cornerstone. It's, to me, in a lot of places, it's actually better than the drum work, which is 
like phenomenal. It doesn't quite hit the heights of the first actual introduction, but it's still really good. The bass, though, it's the line I'm following around because that is actually what's marrying the vocals to everything else. Well, the first point where you start hearing that really, really well is the section that follows that opening verse. This sort of this bounce back and forth where they're just kind of hopping around delicately, and the bass just shines right through here. Sweating while sleeping is a strange feeling. How am I tired when I am resting? The sun on my face is what I'm needing. Why am I seething? My form is fleeting. And it, that just cuts right through here. And actually, they do the same thing that they did in the last track. You know, this they start overlapping here in that round sensation where that gets repeated over, quite interestingly, a, a preview, sort of a benign preview to the chorus. You can hear his vocals just kind of meandering about, saying the words, please don't stand near me, I've got no exit strategy, please let me rot in peace. But they're not the thing that you actually focus on. You really end up focusing, focusing on the, the, the other vocalists that are still bouncing around, carrying over the thing from the previous section. Sweating while sleeping is a strange feeling, how am I tired when I am resting? Right? All this is just a preview to the chorus where those same lyrics, please don't stand near me, I've got no exit strategy, are belted in pure Weezer chorus fashion. Now, this is the most Weezer moment, I think, on this album. It's, it's the, the types of choruses that I feel Weezer would write. And it's, uh, it's, it's honestly just as it's got the stickability as, as Weezer would have. It's just, it's also got all this other stuff framing it and, and behind it, leading up to it, so that by the time you get it, it's, it's, it's not something you'd expect. It's in the vocals specifically that the way he belts lines like I feel fine is reminiscent of a lot of Weezer's early stuff. It has that kind of timbre and tone that, um, Rivers would always have. Yeah. It, up and through, like, make-believe. Yeah. yeah. It, like, perfect it situation. Me, I think you said My Name is Jonas. It reminded you of a little bit. My Name is Jonas, uh, one thing I mentioned, but Perfect Situation, oh, yeah, the final sure. mm-hmm. uh, 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 Perfect yeah, Situation yeah. was this sort of burn. Granted, a lot more complicated because there's actual words instead of just emoting, but you have that same sort of epic build that should have ended the track. That's the thing. It should have ended the track. We don't end the track here. No. It wasn't a two-minute... 30-ish second track. I mean, he might even less than that. He, he stops singing. The vocals are gone. No, instead we get a minute and a half plus of just fucking awesome ska. But even and that, before that's that. after the bridge. <laughs> yeah, the bridge first we get that. this drum bridge that... Oh, yeah, the transition piece. Right. I forgot about that part. The transition piece. So if you thought we had breakneck speed drums before... You were wrong, because they come in here, and it's just this intense 20-second speed-up that's even more intense than the last time he did something like this, and more creative as well. You can't help but get wrapped up into it. And then that gives way to what just feels like a blast out of the 90s. Of Think of your favorite ska band, Bobby Lawn with their horns, because here it is. Like, and But still moving at that pretty quick pace, allowing you, if you wanted, to skank and dance to it. It's really phenomenal. And just to clarify, the, the, the bridge that I mentioned actually does precede even that build-up. So you have so many different you know uh, components of staging here. The, the One thing that I really don't want to leave out before I have my comments on this final section is the bass that John brought up before comes back really full force somewhere right in here. I believe this is the bridge uh, holding your hands feels weird because I feel fine. It's like my mind has been dipped in sunshine. I guess it's fine to let the warmth in sometimes. It's a really, really beautiful section. And there are times right in here where the bass just has this 
this wet quality to it. I, I can't even describe it, but it's it's unique for the album because also, you know, this album, texture-wise, it fits what it fits, and it does so much within that, but then every once in a while they throw in these neat little tools. But then, of course, we get the section that you brought up, which the transition really begins at 2 minutes and 37 seconds. It's just this you-ain't-seen-nothing-yet kind of moment. It's a cavalcade. We just start building and building and getting faster, getting louder. It's a definite tempo increase. And then just a brief halt where the drums give us that one and a two, and then boom, we explode with the trumpets and, I again, what I always hear is saxophones. Honest to God, trumpets, though, that's the thing. It, it's just, it takes on, if the last track wasn't ska enough for you at the end, this is all-out ska. It's the greatest mosh pit, as far as I'm concerned, of all time. And even then, it almost seems too pure for a mosh pit, because it, it's musical mayhem. After several bars, there's this little call and response between the two guitars, and then they step it up again. Another example of staging, the final where the lead trumpet is as fast as I heard some of those drumsticks earlier. It almost seems inhuman. It was also exemplifying one of my favorite parts of math rock, which is not always present, but usually, and that's the fret play. Playing your guitar so high up on the fret that you can actually do all the extremely heavy, high attacks with no decay whatsoever. This is something that you don't hear too often outside of math rock, which is one of the things, if you go back to Marnie Stern, drew me into math rock in general when I explained it. So here, it's, like I said, it hasn't been actually just gone, but here they're just showing off. It's just pure showing off. And to actually transform that to, not 100% ska. Ska is in the brass. Ska is in the bass and in the drums. But I'm hearing... Just straight up what I would consider the math rock guitar showing up in those two dueling guitars. I would agree. That's part of the wonderful blending here. At no point do I ever think, be like, ah, they they borrowed that. You know, they borrowed that from Ska. It feels like they have roots, maybe, in all of the above, but they have the sensibility and the songwriting skills to make it something wholly unique yeah. and to make it all just flow. I can't recall, you know, when we weren't being like, eh, and this goes in a little Ska thing here, and this goes in a little indie rock thing here. We're not really having that discussion no. here. We're just talking about the songwriting itself. We're using it more to relate to the moment than yeah. the actual descriptors of the songs. But honestly, my, my true feeling on this in terms of relating it to Ska is that Ska bands wish they could do this. And of course, Ska bands, I, I, it's not that I don't like Ska, it's another case very much like what I uh, said about the vocals earlier, where it's sort of an associative bias. Yeah. Not, I love Ska as a sound. I think it's a great idea. I think that a lot of bands, though, who are in the Ska scene, they go for album after album, they don't really change up much of the writing. Like, it has a lot of, it has a lot of the same, the same, the same, you know? The same, as we had this discussion a couple weeks ago, people have a threshold for things, even things they love. Yeah. And I think that this band has so far been very tasteful about just including the right amount of it, teasing you with it here and there, and that's that's what music is all about. That's what writing is all about. And then, of course, the explosion ends. The explosion has to dwindle at some point. We don't get the same codas here. You don't no. get that, you know, back and forth. It just da 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 next track. Yeah, and, and we get a sweet release. Probably the sweetest release, I think, on the entire album. Haha, ha, just kidding. Track five. On the beat, we just go right into this. A very yeah. short track at only a minute and 30 seconds, which is another instrumental, and I believe it's actually all synth. It is. And what's interesting is that on that beat, we give way to this kind of, what I like to call crystallized cave synth. It's essentially what I'm using to describe 
an almost echoey filtered spacious synth sound that I imagine resonating crystals would make. I also see like a beach on another planet or something. Sure. I mean, some you know, a beach on another planet could have crystals in it. Yeah, you can go. I, I actually like the uh, the the the, uh, the cold route. I like yeah, the cold, yeah. so I prefer that actually. It's it, at the end of the day, though, I would just easily identify it as a string orientation or that vibration you would get from a string right. running through something that's a little bit on the glassier side. Well, yeah, we get actual strings later, but here the synth are definitely mimicking a kind of emulating strings here. We get more strings later, and it's kind of those sweeping string strums in synth form. You get two forms of strings, actually. Uh, you get the pizzicatos, right, yeah. which are actually the underlying figuration here. One, two, and, and four. And, and or something like, it's, it's actually, it's all in four. I think all of this is in four, but that's just interesting how the, the pulse goes. One, two, and, and four, and, and, and four, and that kind of thing. Uh, so just a traditional, like, pizzicato figuration as one would do in the classical scene. Um, but then, of course, later you have the drawn-out bowed strings. And it's, I think this may actually all be created, like, using Sibelius or something. You know, I, I said that in jest before, you know, like, changing things on your uh, settings on your keyboard or just, like, going through either Sibelius or any other program you have that produces sound, then it's basically just like that. You export it all, you know, and the computer kind of, you do the composition, but the computer does all the work, and it seems like this is, it has that feel of a Sibelius export. And this should feel weird. This should feel like an interlude. This should feel like just a, a gasp of breath before we dive right back into it. But for me, it wasn't because I was seeing similarities in the rhythm of, of this section and the longer string melody that comes on top of it to earlier parts of the album. It feels like they were actually taking specific through lines or specific ideas that we may have only gotten for 5 seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds earlier and elongating it into this full minute and a half. It feels like if, if we're going by BPMs and that earlier piece where it was like 140-something or another. I can't remember the numbers. 140-something. One, one 148. Yeah. yeah, but you said it was knocked down to like 58 or something like that. I if you change up your count. That was a, a thing where I was just changing up the count to go along with where I felt the pulse. But here, it feels like they actually did that. That they did change up one of their previous rapid accounts and just made it big. Just made it long and soothing. And for me, this wasn't a breather. It wasn't an interlude. It was a reward for all of the just rises and the fact that the whole album is just pretty much going rise after rise it's all rise so this was this was here here you go here's 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 a moment of reflection on what we've done so enjoy it I, mean, I, I know we always fall back on this but it had a very cinematic air to it yes it did you no know, it did i think it functioned more of an interstitial as this moment to reflect like you said as interstitial moments do in shows and pieces and so what's interesting to me is we also get the closest thing to a sound-related narrative return here, because towards the uh, tail end of this track, we get that staticky Shore-esque sound mm -hmm. that we had at the very beginning, which I think is interesting, because we still have almost another half of this album, because the last two tracks are almost ten minutes unto themselves, like the, the last two tracks. The static shoreline and or gramophone thing yeah. as it's moving toward or away from the groove, that kind of thing. I think this song 
uh, functionally was a uh, was a breath, uh, was a break, but it was more than that as well. It was definitely this moment of reflection and reward for the intensity that we had endured up until this point. And, and I, the and intensity I say, that we had just endured immediately prior to this. And right. that going into this track, honestly, was the biggest peak valley that I think I've experienced in the history of this podcast. It was podcast. a huge drop, but not without its mattresses on the bottom. Yeah. We didn't plummet into dead space. We actually plummeted into a place of relaxation, which I think is really interesting. <laughs> um, and it also connects really well as we kind of ramp back up into track six, I'm in it for the simoleons, which, again, I like the clever wordplay, or wording at least, in these title tracks. No one uses that term. Simoleons, yeah. And it actually, I honestly think that 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 term was specifically chosen. That word, simoleons, was very, very astutely chosen for the first verse. And I want to read these lyrics right away. Safe as it could ever be or should be, designed to maximize sociability, and of course, minimize the lonely, if only briefly. Where did the fire go, or was it ever even there? And the reason I'm bringing this up is simoleons from The Sims, from the projecting of yourself into a group of easily controllable computer programs that you can live vicariously through. And what you do is you project yourself. You make them your personification in the world with your love interest and with your fears and with your hates and with all the things associated with it. And it's a safe space because you get to live out your dreams and you can defeat your nightmares and all those sort of things. So that's why we're getting a designed to maximize sociability and of course minimize the lonely, which is something that I think has actually been here on this album in the most oblique ways, in the very undertow kind of ways of the buildup of anxiety we got earlier, of the releases that we're getting. It is that sort of back and forth and very, very high school, very coming of age type of level, but it does speak a lot. It's like Stand By Me, the old movie Stand By Me, which was a great coming of age and to me has not lost its impact over the years because it still feels like a great coming to age that I still can relate with because I have watched it recently with my nephew to show it off to him. Um... It, it's, it, it still impacts me over and over and over again as that quest. And I feel like this is an escape from a quest. Just in the lines, just in the title itself. And I'm, I love it. I love it for what it's done. I just, for the record, want to say that John inceptioned his own, like, comparison, simile, metaphors. And we got, like, three deep. And then he came back up for air. I think because <laughs> if he went four deep, he would never wake up. That's, that's true. That's, that that's when time slows down so much that I could spend 50 years there and not age a moment in exactly. the space. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. going back to, you know, the, the fact that this is the realization of all that. You know, mm-hmm. you had this coming in age tale. And then finally you have this design to maximize sociability. And, of course, minimize the lonely. If only briefly. You do have the sense of all of the, like that the realization has arrived. That a little bit of the immaturity that was present earlier on is not really there anymore because yeah. their vocal approach has completely changed. Not just the way in which they sing, but also the way in which they harmonize and also in the way they sing over the course of these time signatures here. Of course, yes, we've had crazy time signatures before and we've had long melodies. This is the longest of the batch. It is. It takes so much time for him to get out those few words that John had just read. You know, I, I've explain time signatures already, but this brings beauty into the fold in song format. Not that we didn't just have that last track, but here we further cement the role, I think, of the previous track, of what we did by having that sort of palate cleanser, a moment of beauty at the tail end, because now it's time to tell the story with a little bit more of a grown-up approach. You know, the time signatures here, as he sings, safe as it 
could ever be. It's 44344434, stretched out over all of that, designed to maximize sociability. And now here, what he does is very interesting because this is not the same exact progression. It's not 44344434, it's 44444, that little group there. And he halts with the words designed to to maximize sociability. In other words, there's an overlapping vocal that steps in as the other one was holding two into the second 4-4 measure, then the other person comes in with to maximize sociability right on top of him. And it, that gets dragged out for another 4-4-3-4, and then another group of 4-4-4-4-3-4. And of course, minimize the lonely. Of course, the course gets interjected again as that's holding over from one beat into the next. It's just a really, really interesting way of songwriting that I almost never hear. Yeah, and I want to speak to how that songwriting with the instrumentation really plays up to what I dubbed indie rock personified. The fact that I've heard some really great indie rock and none of it hits the heights that this hits because of just how well it moves, blends, rocks, and propels itself. And the crown jewel of it all is If Only Briefly. Because yeah. If Only Briefly... When those comes in over the same, you know, time signature format, it's stretched out of the longest of the batch. Mm -hmm. If only briefly, and you can feel them indulging in each and every syllable and how long they drag that out. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. I keep repeating myself in terms of the culmination. It's the culmination. We're only 30 seconds into the song, and they seem to have no shortage of ideas for how to gum up the anticipation and then just explode triumphantly. But, but it isn't done the same way over and over and over again. And that's actually what, something I want to, before we wax eloquence and fall in love with this track and like we'd have every other previous piece, this is the first time I actually feel like they're doing familiar things. Things I can understand like intrinsically mm -hmm. from my days of alt rock and indie rock and mm -hmm. pop punk and all that sort of stuff. Because the rhythm is not the ginormousness that it's been. The bass, the guitar, are not as big as they used to be. They actually did take a step back to allow the vocals to become much more expressive without complicating them. I love this, this exchange of complications, this exchange of expression that they're doing with the instruments. So while, yes, they are still very, very good, I'm not getting my mind blown dry of the rhythm, so I'm able to hear every little utterance and the actual inflection changes that are progressing along with the vocals, and that becomes the focus, that becomes the sole focus for this opening verse. Well, also because as the song progresses, other instruments step forward where the drums had kind of stepped forward in other pieces, because here, even when the guitars step forward, they get moments to even show off, even in ways that we'd never heard before, even leaning more towards dabbling in kind of a metal sound, the way the guitars start to grind at certain points. That's much later on. That's, wow. that's like the closing piece. But yes, they, they do eventually go for everything that they've done previously in new and inviting ways. But it actually is, it's, it's really nice that we went from that cacophony of ska and fret playing mm -hmm. to a nice reward breathing section to something that actually makes the individual singing a, a, a more important element than I really felt it's been so far on this album, even though it has been a, one of the... It hasn't been just the element. Well, just to comment on something you had said earlier about, yeah, the rhythm being, um, and said again, <laughs> about the rhythm not being, I guess, the sole focus. It's, it's not that it has taken a dive. You know, the rhythm right. is just as yeah, complex as, I mean. it ever but... as it's ever been, but yet 
you know, I have an experience. Of course, I'm, I'm the one breaking down all these time signatures for, for anyone, all music nerds out there who just kind of like this stuff and find it fun. I find it fun. Um, but I don't do it right off the bat, of course. You know, I enjoy the music first and just let it wash over me. This is a good example of something that I didn't even analyze, like, in the very beginning, like, I, or, or after second, two, three, four, five, six listens, I didn't want to because I was only hearing the melody. I was only hearing this free-flowing sensation, and that's the mark of a good songwriter. Again, you, it, it is complex. You know all of this stuff that is behind it, but you're just in the moment 100%. And that's what this does all the way up to, and including those lines, where did the fire go, or was it ever even there? That's, uh, that is almost like a chorus sensation to me because of the way he sort of sings a little bit farther away from the mic now, you know, just wondering, wondering where did the fire go or was it ever even there? Um, and then, of course, it comes back down again to the who are you, which is back to their playful side, this sort of bounce. And again, the type of signatures are once again very complex here, um, or at least the pulse is a little bit hard to follow. But it's it's very inviting. It's just the pulse. It, it, it's it's alluring. And gradually, they start adding on the metal component over over this. They start yeah. building building that up. But I just love that phrase of who are you, you. Yep. over and over again. I love... <laughs> Repetition is the one thing we don't really get in this album. That could be a, this. That could this be a something chorus, I needed. That could this be a chorus in itself, to be yeah. honest. Right. But then, of course, there's another big explosion. But this, I, I hear, even though it actually has more power, I hear this as more of a verse. But it, it's with what I would almost call the crown jewel lyric on the album. Not just, not because of 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 what it's saying, or even the context of the album in a whole, but of the way it is promoted, the way in which it just explodes out into. There's hundreds of thousands of maybes, and every single- I'm waiting for that moment, all the time. There's hundreds of thousands of maybes, I'm scared of where my mind might take me. I see you on the daily, and want you to say anything. Now, this is pretty interesting because this is one of those moments where I know we've been, you know, lauding almost everything that has happened lately, and yet this really takes us right back to that associative bias again, because here, there's a four chord progression in the background, which although I didn't analyze it, I know those are chord changes that I hear a lot in punk and indie alike. You know, the, this, this format is something like you would hear in Weezer and a lot of other bands. And it's a chord change that I always liked, but I may have pressed the cliche button if it wasn't for the rhythm and the irresistible charm of these vocals throughout. So it's sort of like, you know, when you get to, I guess, enjoy Weezer as a band. John is the certainly the bigger fan of Weezer oh, yeah. here. Um, Matt is pretty big. I'm probably the third biggest fan of it's Weezer because I'm sort of a, a, a... Yeah, I was a latecomer to Weezer. <laughs> I, I, they were always kind of secondhand to me, but I understand the way in which you would belt out a typical Weezer chorus. This has basically done the same thing for me and because it has all of the album building up to it i uh, i don't have the same critique that you'd think i'd have but considering you know we've reviewed blink 182 and taking back sunday i feel like those are the types of chorus that i may have in just those very same episodes called the cliche chorus of the four chord progression that really doesn't have it really doesn't have the it factor for me this has it i don't know why it's also at those lines uh who are you through hundreds of thousands of maybes. Right there, I see fantasy being broken, especially because Who Are You is just kick drum at beginning. Yeah. Fantasy was broken, and he actually gets back into the real world, which is why I want to have The Sims and my reasoning behind viewing it through that lens be the focus here because reality sets in. And what follows up afterwards, plainly staring at preferably nothing. I'd honestly rather be touching. You break the monotony. I hope you don't stare through me. Sincerely, me. 
<laughs> that and is it, a love story if I've ever heard one that, summated so concisely. And this is something you don't have to go to the lyrics for because of the fact, well, maybe only for one reason, and that's because by the time you get to the end of the the chorus-esque singing, and again, I, I keep calling, I know I sort of uh, pulled the faux pas and ended up calling a chorus, even though I hear most of this actually as a verse, a different kind of verse, let's just say. But that stays true all the way through that, that second to last line, the penultimate, hope you don't stare through me, but then we go back to the style of singing in the very beginning of the song for the final line, sincerely me, like it's all just drawn out again, and with the wonderful harmonizing to boot. With the grit and glamour that's associated with the metal that uh, Storm was talking about. The grit and I, glamour is a perfect way to put it because of the, the honking in the background. Just this... It's like an interjection here amidst other interjections. You know, the soft uh, little bass and guitar pair up. You have the heavy metal thing and you pull back the soft uh, bass and guitar thing. There's the, the, the parts that largely lack drums just for a moment. And they get interjected into these metal sections foreshadowing the part at the very, very end. But you have to wait for it. You have to get wait for it because... The, the, everything gets louder and louder and louder until finally we go into the big thing here. It, we'll call it a chorus call, it just the thing that has appeared at the end of almost every single track, but in a very different way this time. The final bash, I am giving up, which is still with the heavy metal thing. I am giving up, right? But it, he's distant. He's singing far away from everything, and he's singing it all so slowly. And then you finally get the return. The thing that was foreshadowed earlier, the soft bass and guitar pair up, comes only after that has finally finished. And that, that trails us slowly to the end, not knowing when it's ever going to stop. Uh, it's just that, that distant cry still even continuing over that. There's so much overlap in this album. You don't even want to say sections begin or end. It's just composition. But there is one critique I have going, and it's not the biggest thing, but it's one of the few times I really do have to put it out there. And that is the actual metal sections themselves. This is the one time they really heavily repeat ideas, because you get six or eight of the same metal guitar rift in a span of three seconds over and over and over again mm -hmm. with, those, with those breakups. Eventually it evolves... It goes on for a while, and while the repetition itself doesn't bother me, the length does just a little. I wanted it to go, I wanted it to be a little bit more concise. This is the one time I feel I felt like they actually they went long, and they didn't need to quite go as long as they did, because there's not a, there's not just enough. I mean, eight measures of the same thing over and over and over again, or eight measures of one idea and then eight measures of another and then eight measures of another, they were usually doing it in three or four or five sometimes when they were going weird. I won't, that was the one big problem I, won't I had deny, in this piece. Yeah, I won't deny that this album is a little bit guilty of cycling, of, of going through cycles, and even though there's a lot of composition there, there can be those moments where the cycle just... It's not that the cycle... Not that every single cycle goes on. I think, actually, you're making the point that really this is the only one so far. Yes. Um, and I, I may have experienced that at some point in my first few listens uh, because I am conscious of this sort of thing. I just, again, it's all context. And I feel that now here at the penultimate track, at the tail end of the penultimate track, I... I I think I was um, too too immersed to ever really be pulled out of it simply by staring at the clock. I never really did that. So, I guess let's go to track seven. Hands up. 
All right, so I want to do this track in two stages. I want to maybe avoid reference to lyrics for the moment uh, until the second half of this discussion. Let's keep it to musicality first, vocals as an instrument, not yet as an orator. I agree. Um, so let's start with the guitar work here. Probably the most staggered guitar work we've gotten on the album, and I like how stuttered it is. It's just... It, it breathes and has gaps that I don't know that we really have heard up until this point. It's them again showing off their chops as guitarists without really nitpicking a specific genre. Yeah, I'm not going to rattle off like Time Sickness just for this. You get the gist. You get the gist of what they do and what their tendency is, and this is another creative uh, loop in in that. And I say loop very loosely. It's a loose loop because, of course, the fact that you're so involved at that point doesn't even really matter. Everything does need to come back to a loop at some point. It's how we get attached to things. It's how I got attached to this album and this song. Uh, what it does go into, though, is the first time I'm going to use it on the album, a cacophony in the verse. It actually feels like they're just going like, that they're literally banging pots and pans and every little bit of noise they possibly can do it to is. really hit heights. It's, it's to really the just strongest, be noisy. The yeah. strongest start, I think, we've had, considering you feel that right? And you hear the the, the, the crash symbols, particularly, just kind of consuming everything. There's your pots and pans. There you go. And then and then it does take it down a little bit. And just a little hinted lyrics here. Well, let's just pretend that assumption is not correct. Now, all of a sudden, the va- the background vocalists step in here with that soft Ooh, that that soft coating just harmonizing over this lead melody, and it's almost as if it's trying to just break it down, trying to be a little bit more candid. And this was particularly beautiful. It even there's a moment here where, I, even though I'm short on references here for this album, I did start to think this sounded a lot like the singers from They Might Be Giants. <laughs> Specifically in, uh, I must admit that I find you completely repulsive. It's back to the same vocals we mentioned in the beginning, except that I didn't bring up uh, They Might Be Giants, but it's another good reference for the Ben Gibbard flatness, the yeah. flatness you'd find in Kyle Malloy, you find that in They Might Be Giants as well. And something about the exact tone in this particular section really reminded me of that. Because well, it feels sarcastic, and they do sarcastic yeah. constantly. Yeah, and it's obviously, you know, I must admit that I find you completely repulsive. Of course, that, that same sentence would be said in anger if this was a real conversation. Right, but it was but, so sing-songy yeah, and positive. Exactly. There's a little bit of cheekiness there. And I know there's only one thing to combat the oppressive. I am going for the lyrics. It's a good place marker. Um, I know you don't think they matter. And then after that, this is another... Stuttered is the best way to put it, but of course I don't want to keep reusing the word. This is a whole new style here. This is something more in the vein. I mean, of course, staccato is the best word to use for this particular section. A slight little instrumental uh, just wedged in here. Again, foreshadowing something we're going to get again, um, but just by itself without lyrics for the moment. Those little staccato guitar playing. You think, well, guitar playing is mostly staccato because, of course, the second you pluck the instrument, then, well, that, that little short note, is that that's all you get and it doesn't really linger unless you're using the pedals. But here, really is cutting out all of that and it's just leaving to as short it's, as possible. It's more fret play. It's more yeah, working yeah. up high on that neck and it's it's awesome. I'm it, enjoying just the fact that they seem to be going through a lot of different motions that they have done in this album before but with a, a much a much more I guess like specific slant because it doesn't feel like they're actually integrating other styles of music. Like It's not ska. It's not punk. This feels like purer math rock than anything else that we've actually gotten. Yeah, I would agree. So this feels like it's probably 
the I guess well, well I'll put it out there that's the most generic math rock if math rock can be generic it did bring me back to Marnie Stern at least of yeah. course that's four years ago for us now but yeah that's essentially it's kind of where my brain goes and then of course that was a foreshadowing moment so then we have another thing which is the don't go down without a fight don't let them think they're right where they're singing again broad style but then of course we bring that back the thing that we foreshadowed and that is over this phenomenal little breakdown here where the vocals enter in with the same thing that we just described with the little staccato guitar playing right but the vocals are joining in with that with this whole you can squeeze their necks till their breath all runs out you can pin them down and then take their gun out this again the time sequence here I'm not gonna even bother with it at this point um it's doable but just enjoy this just enjoy it for what it is because it's getting toward the very very end of the album here and then of course the beginning of the end yeah yeah. That's really the only way the to beginning really beginning of the end. This is like a kind of a Beethoven reveal of the last section. Well, we start with alt-rock 90 style of softness. Yeah. Which which is two measures, maybe four, but I want to call it like just two measures of that, but that's a lie cuz cuz we can't we can't stay there. And we build on that with just I want to say the the heavy Alt-rock style of the 90s soft outro? Like, well, it, you know, there's one shifts. thing. It has to do with a certain sound that I... I don't know if I have it, the same association as you do, but it was all kind of wrapped up in one chord to me, all amidst you can't stop bullets with hopes and prayers, you can't stop the police with hopes and prayers. With, but it's, it's on the word and. It's hopes and prayers, and then all of a sudden everything flats just a little mm-hmm. bit. There's something here. I'm not exactly sure what that chord was. I didn't. Again, I didn't sit with that particular section, but I, I had meant to, and I wish I had, because this is a, a, a really... Just a strange moment, again, as we're racing toward the end of this piece, it was like everything is starting to distort. And chords have an interesting way of showing that. All just in the chord themselves, forgetting what everything else is doing. Everything else they do is fast and, and beyond imagination, but it's crisp. And yet this starts to distort that. It starts to close that up like everything is falling apart around him. Yeah, and this is a good opportunity for me to point out something that has been, I don't want to say a consistent problem for me throughout the record, but something I consistently noticed is the lyrics. Lyrics, the lyrics I don't think impact me more than it being an instrument. I don't know that I hung on the words as much as you guys had because this song, for the most part, for me, based on how it was played and how the lyrics were delivered, seemed more fun-loving and upbeat than it was. Especially considering the the bizarreness we get at the outro. You know, up until this point, even you reciting the lyrics back, it's the way they're kind of pattered out. I'm just like, oh, this is fun. But if you're actually focusing on the lyrics, they are not. I almost felt guilty for doing so. We'll get to that in one moment. But but yeah, going back to this kind of Weezer-esque outro as we are getting the, the track to kind of wrap up on itself, we get these interesting notes that also feel very Weezer-esque to me because Weezer would do cheeky wrap-ups like this to their songs. I also don't want to bring everything back to Weezer, though, because honestly, that's the kind of things... Well, maybe in the terms of the wrap-up here. Yeah. You know, the, ter- the wrap-up, I believe, is all in 4-4. Maybe there was something there, but I, for the most part, it, it is a, a gentle breakdown. Mm-hmm. But of course, all the in-between in stuff that this band does is stuff that Weezer ne- would never do. No, of course. So yeah. it's it's uh, all here and there. But let, we when we've had enough, we throw our hands up. But is it sung that quickly? No, and that candidly, of course, it's when we've had enough. Boop! (laughs) I love it. I, I... it, it I, just, the smile that was on my face yeah. when the single guitar just played this one note way up there in the middle of nowhere, you know, just standalone you note. can't help but laugh. I, was, I was almost gleeful. It was almost like they went past the actual full neck right up to where uh, 
the strings themselves are screwed in and just hitting that little tiny little bit of metal yeah, that's on up the there wrap to make around, them, yeah, on the wrap around, just enough to make a nice pierce. And that nice pierce keeps showing up, but it doesn't just show up. Well, After it shows like up. After four iterations, you get you get a boop, and then you get a and then well, you get he a goes no, he well, he goes first and then plays, then, and then it goes up, and then it comes back down, and then there's a little more of a honk there, yeah. and the final one, the very final one. I I my adoration for this album is at an all time high at this point because it it was a whimper. Yeah, it was it was not it wasn't even a boop. It wasn't even the playful little it thing. Like, it was like no, it was like. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I can't even anymore. And that's how I felt with this album, and that is pretty much next to the end. That's it. Yeah, I think that this what this song really indicates is kind of something for me that summates the album a little bit, only because there's a playful nature to the entire record. And even when it gets to its heaviest, and there are moments besides this track that lyrical content-wise it does get pretty heavy, it still does it in a tongue-in-cheek way because I don't think they want to take themselves too seriously. All right. Well, rather than skirt by this subject safely, as we usually do due to time constraints, let me just have it out again. How can you be so oblivious? How can you say these events didn't happen? How can you say that a bias does not exist? If we're assuming that you're just ignorant, how many facts must we shove in your face until you get it? Let's just pretend that assumption is not correct, that you're all actually sniveling bigots. Well, there's only one thing to do. I must admit that I find you completely repulsive. And I know there's only one thing to combat the oppressive. I know you think they don't matter. Don't go down without a fight. Don't let them think they're right. You can squeeze their necks till their breath all runs out. You can pin them down and then take their gun out. You can wait until they cooperate and shoot them right in front of their wife and infant. You can't stop bullets with hopes and prayers. You can't stop the police with hopes and prayers. When we've had enough, we throw our hands up. A lot of things that could be said here. I actually take it this way. Specifically that he's talking to an individual that hates the police. That, like, outright hates the police. And is actually doing the things that are kind of being jokingly advocated of you can squeeze their necks till their breath all runs out. It, it doesn't feel like that's a serious assertion of something to go out and do. Instead, I, it feels mocking. And it's almost a commentary back and forth of be smart. Don't give up. Don't go down without a fight. But you're also an asshole. You're also a jerk because you're doing the things that you're complaining about. You're yeah. doing the violence that you're complaining about. So it feels like he's actually trying to educate somebody about the whole concept of all the police brutality. Now, I'm just putting it out there, whether you're on the one side of pro-police or the other side of against police and pro-personal rights, or you're in the middle of the people that realize that, you know, there is police brutality, but it's not police brutality, it's a bunch of a-holes that do this sort of stuff. And it's terrible things, and they should have been weeded out, and a whole lot of other political things that you can actually talk about with this. We're not going to directly address that. But this feels like it's coming from the middle ground of someone who understands that there is conflict between civilian and police in a lot of areas of the United States, a lot of areas of the world, but them being from Chicago and me knowing a couple of cops out in Chicago from the area of the United States. It actually is one of the most dangerous towns in the United States. Has become so recently. More cops die in Chicago than anywhere else in the U.S., uh, not just by numbers, but by number of cops on the force. Um, 
friend of mine who I don't think I've mentioned before, he's been a cop for about a year, year and a half now, and he got into a shootout within the first six months of being on the job. He's actually taken one to the vest and had to shoot an individual. This is not a safe area. But for every bad cop out there that does the police brutality thing, there are thousands of cops that do the right thing and take care of the people that they're supposed to protect because that's their job. So this feels like it's that explanation. That of, yeah, there's statistics. You're an idiot. Maybe, maybe you're just ignorant. So let me tell you all the facts. But at the same time, that, that phrasing and the way the music is working with, you can wait until they cooperate and shoot them. The music that's marrying that doesn't make that feel serious. It's more of the mocking idea of, you could do something super violent. Is it right? That's my two cents. It's interesting that you look at it that way. I guess just the way the lyrics are flatly written, I just see it on the one side of someone who's fed up with police brutality. And if you're someone who's been on the receiving end of it, I can see how you're absolutely there, obviously. Um, and so that's kind of how I interpret it. Now, that's just the way you read it. Interpreting proper with the music is not as easy. And so I think, I mean, obviously the person who can tell us really what this is about is the person who wrote it. But I think I would take it more serious one-sided if I just heard the lyrics. But because there is music behind it, there is maybe a give and take of trying to understand, trying to educate, which I think is a great way to look at it flat out, is this is a moment to educate, regardless of personal beliefs, where you fall, whatever. All right, I think you just inspired me then. I'm probably going to, yeah, I think I'm going to make the statement I, I, I wasn't going to say, but I, I think it should be said. <laughs> if we're having the discussion here, because I noticed that we, we do tend to avoid this a lot, it's, we, for any frequent listeners, you know, who've stumbled upon the now growing number of episodes in which we've encountered tracks that concern the subject, they would know that I always tend to tread pretty lightly on it. We all do, because, well, it's a music podcast, and it's not our place. Plus, it would also yank us away from the music for an exorbitant amount of time, but let's be honest with ourselves. Social statements are a big part of music, and it often affects the art for us, even for or against. Uh, we usually keep it to the art's success rate in serving the message it wants to convey, but that's also really, really safe. So I'm tired of avoiding the crux of the matter. Let's talk about it. Uh, I'm going to admit precisely why I tend to tread pretty lightly on this subject, and that is because I'm flat out case by case with this topic. And when something's case by case for you, it's best to steer clear of making statements or of joining movements. Otherwise, you and that movement will likely part ways very quickly. I mean, sure, if it's as simple as saying there should be less police brutality, then of course I'm going to agree. And if anyone came back at me and said there should be more police brutality, then I would clearly call the police, <laughs> maybe <laughs> slip him a few bucks and say, hey, be a little brutal this time. Uh, or if it were as simple as saying, you know, there should be less crime, then of course, not going to stop you. Got to get that crime down. But the thing is, generalities, sadly, don't inspire movements as much as isolated incidents do. Yeah, I live in New York. I have some of the same secondhand stories as John does. So surprise, surprise. It, a fair, I've heard fairly personal accounts from both sides. But true to form, with every major incident that has happened over the last several years, even before my time, I have drifted steadily between siding with the cop and siding with the victim. There isn't a, a deep-seated drive for me to see what I want to see on this topic, especially not when I don't have all the facts. And when I do have enough facts, I arrive at a conclusion that is sometimes better kept to oneself. But I'm not made of stone, either. I can genuinely empathize with, on one hand, the feeling of helplessness that many victims are forced into, not knowing when a wrong move could land you dead, 
and also wondering if this situation would have played out the same way had your skin color been different. That's a valid concern. I also empathize with the burden of carrying out the rule of law, officer's instinct, and the daily question of whether to use force, whether it is too much force, or whether it's protection, when is it assault, but that's a much finer line than the media makes it out to be. And I'm starting to really resent people, and this is not aimed at the band at all, people who feel like they're qualified to comment on every major incident as it unfolds, like their moral integrity depends on it. Well, I'll just say it now. There's no shame in abstaining. You know, in just saying, I wasn't at the scene, I wasn't in that courtroom, therefore I declined to comment. Nothing wrong with that, right? But the reason why so few people do that, who decline to comment, is because up till now we've been shaming people who don't have opinions as the problem. You know, the ignorant masses. I I'm guilty of doing that myself in the past, of being the shamer that is, lashing out at someone who acts idle. Like, don't you at least have an opinion on this? Don't you want to know more about the world? Ignorance is not a virtue. But all that is muddied water now, because in this climate, frankly, the first person to open their mouth is usually the ignorant one. So there it is. I've, I've come around and I'm putting this statement out there to those I may have wronged. I will not think less of you for not having an opinion. Granted, I'm not suggesting you avoid reality either, but as the world grows more complex, we should all take more time with our thoughts and being a passive observer, accumulating knowledge rather than upchucking it, picking your battles, showing humility. These are all signs of intelligence, in my view. You may even end up accomplishing a lot more than those highly vocal front runners. firstly because there's power in silence. You know, you don't want to have had a hand in stoking the wrong fire. And secondly, in regards to long-term activism, because you're the listener. You're the attentive one. You won't spoil your platform's name with dumb campaigns and idiotic stunts. You'll stick to the facts, you'll build bridges, you'll create reputability. And sure, it can come across as a little dispassionate <coughs> at times. Some might even call it callous to actually refrain from broadcasting your emoticon to the world, that very noble contribution, or even refraining from showing solidarity, which may seem really cold and insipid, but if you're totally polarized on this topic, then I'd still employ willpower for the simple reasoning that if a jury is required by law to provide dispassionate assessment, and that's with the burden of hearing all the testimonies, the forensic scientists, the eyewitnesses, all point blank, then I think the rest of us with our second-hand, third-hand news sound bites, listicles, and scores of op-ed pieces, op-ed pieces that are, by the way, reading a lot less and less journalistic, I notice. Something like, I work at The Atlantic and I'm having a lot of feels right now. Then yeah, in light of these wonderful sources, I think the rest of us might just lay down the broadsword and be a little less hot-headed, a little calmer, a little more analytical, a little more like the jury we would all hope to have if, God forbid, something like this ever affected us directly. But the thing is, these sources, these three-minute informative videos that pop up on your feed, they're fast-changing the world, especially the op-ed pieces because they're all written as if they're incisive, unprecedented probes into multifaceted issues when really they sidestep like crazy in order to remain consistent and persuasive and press along with their message. But that's not the job of a journalist. That's the job of a writer, of a rhetorician. That's who you're learning from, and most people can't tell the difference. And the great failing of the age of information is that people, God bless them, will always flock to rhetoricians before journalists. Charisma counts, prose counts. And if it were only a problem of that, it wouldn't be so bad. It's been that way for all of human history. The great orator, whatever they believe, will always win the day. But the problem with social media is that it's become a seriously amplified game of telephone. The facts will stoke the opinionated, which will stoke an advocacy group, which will stoke a zealot. And that's why within weeks of an event, there's usually an ideological crime of retaliation. Perhaps a nervous cop who takes out his anger on an innocent person, or perhaps an outright attack against the cop himself. 
I, I would love to say I'm speaking in hyperbole, but we all read the news. And you might say, well, at least we smoked those suckers out. B absolute bullshit. People are complex creatures. We can create them over time, owing to the caliber of discussion we choose to have. And we'll be smoking out many more if we don't change our tone. But whatever. We just play right into it, like we had nothing to do with it. Charging along with our narrative, whatever it may be. And, oh, those other things there. Those are the exceptions. Sad and unfortunate. But, but, but freedom of speech, that's the thing. And then, of course, what really bellows me up is the people who can't step off their platform to save themselves, going so far even after after the reactionary incident to say things like, well, you can see why that would happen. What a paradigm of compassion you are. And believe me, I know issues don't stop being issues just because a new news story came out that day, but you'd think in the attempt to build a better world, you would just pause your Facebook group activity for the week and be conscientious of a shift in tide, a potential shift in tide when applicable, a new condition under which your words might become the new evil. That way we don't play seesaw for another nine generations. Both sides are guilty of this, and honestly, if I could just sneak into the National Archives and just add the teensiest adjustment to the First Amendment, I'd draw a a little asterisk. Use sensibly. Because to varying degrees, there are people in the world that are just far too emboldened. It used to be earned, and now no one has to earn it. I say on my podcast soapbox. Uh, and that's why I stand where I stand on the issue, proudly on the fence until someone no doubt rattles me off, and then I get back on again. But getting back to art. <laughs> I won't deny that because of much of what I just said, I can be pretty leery about the subject's foray into music, frequent foray into music. And that's because I tend to enjoy music in such an immersive, euphoric, occasionally escapist fashion that to have my music suddenly mirror my newsfeed can be a real drag. And I'm usually very dubious on the effect it must have beyond simply expression and reinforcement. Now you guys also both know that although I love poetry, I don't even hear lyrics for several listens in a row. My brain hears them as melody first and doesn't immediately process what's been said. I heard when we've had enough, we throw our hands up, and immediately I thought, ah, what a nice resolution. Or maybe a general theme of defeatism, or your brain can go anywhere when you only hear a single line. And then I confess I found the lyrics on Bandcamp, read along, and my heart sank just a couple of notches. After an album I'd really grown to love at this point, I thought, uh, here we go. But spoiler alert, that's the other big job of art, to commentate and to confront, which, as fate would have it, is what inspired me to prepare this whole entire spiel. It's too easy to put on blinders on your music and enjoy it how you want to enjoy it. It's too safe of a bubble to expect the music to conform to your will. It was written with bigger things in mind, and the world, much as I love music, is a very complex place. Now, we've all seen some pretty unique takes on this issue. Uh, some of them heartfelt narratives about second-hand experience, which I think have won the day for most of us. We saw a very interesting look at this topic in Black Messiah by D'Angelo and the Vanguard. Also, I think a little bit in Run the Jewels 2 by the Run the Jewels. Uh, some interesting piece of satire as well in Childish Gambino. And we've also seen a lot of piss-poor attempts at simply being topical for the sake of being topical. Violence is bad. It must be stopped. Every day I turn in the news and I get sad. Good for you. Gold star. Headspace kind of ran into that problem just a couple episodes ago. Uh, and notice we were pretty curt on that track as it confronted kind of the same topic. Also, thankfully, we have not encountered blatant hate speech, our elusive 0 to 1 rating. So that's my philosophical statement and my overview. And now that I've gotten that off my chest finally, it feels like it's been a political time in the making here because we almost never go this deeply into the subject, but you guys were both thorough, I thought I'd be thorough. 
And uh, now that I've got that off my chest, and also that we've established the musicality first, I'd like to simply say, this works. This works 100%, no matter which side it is on. I like both of John's alternate views at this, because when I wrote this, I pretty much was thinking more like you, Matt, that it was someone who was really like, you know, we need to stop the police. We need to do anything to stop the police. Some of these words, I think, taken out of the context of the way he saw it, really could be read that way. Right. Um, but it works. It works because of the reasons I mentioned when we were talking about the music. Because when we were talking about the music, I mentioned, very consciously, I mentioned how it begins by saying, you know, how can you be so oblivious? It's, it's frenetic. It's, it's, it's erratic. It, it's, it's out of frustration, it almost seems, if we look at it, you know, me and Matt's way. And then, of course, it tries to find the common ground. It tries to, tries to find the olive branch until it kind of does a double twist, because sometimes there are people that you can't talk to. Sometimes there are people who will just not hear reason, who will not hear the facts that I just went on that long spiel about. And where does it eventually go? It goes back and forth, back and forth, between the frustration and <coughs> the, the uh, reconciliation. And I think that's brilliant. I think that's absolutely brilliant at the end of the day. I don't mind the subject matter. I think it, it, it aided the song. The very fact that the you gets called out as being oblivious, as being a sniveling bigot. And the you is told that they can do this. They can squeeze necks and pin down and take guns and fire in front of women and children. Which are all things that have happened in the news. And that in first person, I find you repulsive. Mm -hmm. That could be either side. No, no, no. I, I don't think you ever changes. Mm. That's, that's my reasoning. If you never changes in this... You is ignorant. That's a very improper way of saying it. But you, the, the firm, the firm idea, you is ignorant. You is a bigot. You is violent. But you still need to do things about that. You still need to go down fighting. You still need to stand up for yourself. So you have some work to do. Mm. To me, that's an amazing message. I think that's even better than the message that I thought it was before I went for it, which is, again, why I sort of went on this whole tale, because I realized that you were even seeing a bigger thing here. I, I like all of these possibilities, because art is full of possibilities. And with that, we get the finale of the shortest yet, I dare say, one of the most impactful albums I've listened to. Also, I, I want to... To break down the fourth wall a little bit, I am voting that we don't have a topic after that mouthful of That was guy. really good, like, yeah. I just... That I, was, I didn't yeah. know how you'd take it. No, I, 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 think that's I, an important, I think that's an important thing to put out there, whether people agree or not, or understand or not. I think that it was... It's stuff we've kind of danced around a lot, and it allowed us to elaborate on a track that we not may not always. And I think part of it is, you know, and we're not afraid to admit it, we're three white straight dudes on a podcast so when talking about this kind of stuff our view can be limited and so we like steve right. says sometimes we don't we don't want to talk about things we don't have the purview to comment on and to to be as elaborate as steve was i think is important i think it allowed us to have a great discussion and so now we're going to go on to our wrap-ups have a music term of the day talk about what we're doing next week and go home and john I, and i go last yeah well a lot of this album is Stupidity versus ignorance. The last track really some does a great summation of what that is. But there's a lot of just like <clears throat> stupid things that happen on this track. Like, I don't want to have to deal with getting this really inconsequential reward. I don't want to have to deal with life. 
I don't want to have to deal with reality. It really is angsty about about a bunch of different topics, but angst is just there has to be a better synonym for that word because angst has a lot of weight to it and a lot of weight that is negative as far as maturity goes, as far as quality goes. Because it's usually associated with teens that whine. Even I whine still, and I'm in my 30s. But it's associated with individuals that don't realize that the world can be hard. That the world sucks at times. I don't know how old these guys are. Don't really matter. Because they're writing from the point of view of a mature teen. Like a very mature teen. The sort of individual that really does have their shit together. That knows what they're doing. That's the content. That's the lyrics, that's the vocals. That's a really, really great writing style. And I would love to keep hearing stuff like that. That's part A. Part B. Just great music all around as far as the instrumentation goes. The bassist is holding everything down. The drummer is phenomenal. All the guitar work is just exemplary. Don't forget the horns. Horn work. Hornwork shows up in the perfect spots. Part C. The complexity is amazing. It is all over the place. There's just... I, I really could follow Steve when we were listening to the music itself. And he was doing the breakdowns and doing the counts and everything like that. But hearing him actually say them aloud, just in in order and how they're coming apart... Just blows my mind. It's an it's algebraic. This is not you know elementary school math. This is this is some upper tier stuff when it comes to actually thinking these things through. And yet at the same time, it sounds like so much of it is off the cuff. It's off the cuff. It's jammy, but it doesn't fall into the traps of a jam where you're just doing something masturbatory. Everything here has a purpose, yet sounds so easy to produce. So it's got three amazing things going for it. My only complaint is that it's 24 minutes long. I guess that would be my, 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 my problem, is that it was a short album. That's a really stupid problem. No, 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 no. Don't even interrupt me here. That's a really stupid problem to have, because this album feels like it lasts forever. The point has to be made. I have to. Yeah, I do. I, I have to say, it's 24 minutes. It feels twice that length. It feels meaty. It feels like... Uh, a, a really good airing on the long side standard LP. It feels like I listen to it for hours sometimes. The first play through went by in a flash and the second one lasted forever. So my complaint of it being too short, I guess, would be kind of not really a very big complaint considering it doesn't feel its length. So I guess the, the, the one final thing I would leave off that is the only reason why it's not a five star is that it doesn't feel wholly new. It doesn't feel like it is a solid direction of something new and different. It just feels different, but a lot of familiarity. That's where the biggest problem actually lies in this album for me is that I feel like I've heard similar things before not not necessarily of this caliber all the time but other bands have done pieces of caliber that would warrant being on this album it's otherwise just really freaking awesome 4.85 Alrighty, well my turn for wrap up and in an attempt to you know actually get some sleep tonight i'm gonna try and be brief um 
also because I feel like there's no point in repeating what was said already because we've all pretty much lauded this record. And when we do this, I always try... Well, actually, Steve usually tries to bring up some reality and bring us all down, but it's my turn to do that. <laughs> um, first of all, of course, I do really like the record, though it did take me more listens, I think, to warm up, it, warm up to it than either of you two did. Um, you know, I still... As a track, don't really like the first track, but I, again, feel satisfied listening to it. I love what it builds to. But from there, I'm along for the ride. I really, the vocals for me brought an element of familiarity that I was able to latch onto to then go through the cooler, more ridiculous stuff that's throughout this record. Um, the uh, absolute needed breath moment of haha, just kidding, was absolutely necessary. Without that track, I think I might have been a little overwhelmed. As far as track length, I flat out refute, John, this feels complete. I'm satisfied with the piece and it feels complete. I didn't want it to be longer. Now I hear what you're saying, but I can't by any means even say that that's a problem. Well, I, I did only bring up that problem. Because you had no problems. Because I had, no, because I wanted to refute it right. as a problem. Fair enough. Because I feel like it's a very complete piece. In fact, Probably one of the tightest themes and arcs we've had on a record in a while, I'd say. Musically, yeah. For sure. You know, narrative theme, it's nebulous at best. I mean, you know, you can read all the lyrics, but honestly, through a listen, you're not going to get a lot of it. For me, this is where it falls a little short for me. The lyrics, vocals were great. Lyrics were throwaway only in the sense that I wasn't really listening to the words. I had a very Steve experience with this band and i say steve in finger quotes because i was focused on the instrumentation and the vocals and as an instrument you know i didn't really get a sense of the lyrics till i read along with them today really and i've listened to this album six or seven times so you know that to me i think is a flaw if you're gonna have lyrics i mean yes we run into the issue like i brought up before when we've done foreign language bands can you really hurt it for not understanding the lyrics that's on you not the band but this I can understand the lyrics, but I'm getting pieces here and there. I didn't feel the weight of the final track until we read it. Listening to it, I never felt that weight, which I think is part of the point. And maybe if I'd focused on it more on some of these tracks, I would feel the weight in those moments. But I think what really hurts it for me is that the lyrics just don't have the impact that I want them in content sense. They do in delivery because again i love the vocalists um but that's really the only thing i have to say about this album that falls short for me i love the instrumentation i think it's a tight record for 24 minutes i'm gonna be listening to this every morning because i can listen to this and another album back to back on one commute because my commute's about 50 minutes to work it was the first album we were actually able to listen to in its entirety from me picking up Steve to arriving here. When we did, like, it was perfect. We shut the car off. The last note had just played. It was insane. And so I, I want to say that I'm not, I'm not panning this album by any means. I'm not, but I don't, I really don't think it's, I think it's just barely upper echelon. I think it is, but I don't think it comes as close as you guys may think it does, only because I feel like the lyrics not having the impact they should is 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 a failing. Um, but that said, then again, who are we to decide why the lyrics have impact, how they do? I mean, Steve had his whole spiel about interpretations and yada yada, I'm not gonna repeat. But I think for me, as in my rating scale, it falls short. Also, the emotional impact absolutely comes from the instrumentation, 
no emotional impact from the vocals. None. Zero. But but I think it's because, well, not zero emotional impact. Z- very one-sided emotional impact. It all felt fairly happy-go-lucky and positive for the most part. The, you know, or melancholy. There was no extremes with the with the emotionality, which is is okay, but I like that kind of roller coaster in in the lyric play um that wasn't really here. Musically, I was all over the fucking place and that was great. <laughs> um so for me this is a 4.5. I like it. It's in the upper echelon, but just barely. I think that for a freshman album it is freaking phenomenal. And I can't wait to give a five to their next record. But until then, we're at a 4.5. All right, well, first I want to disagree with you handily on the emotional impact from the vocals. Uh, I think I had made I that point the clear lyrics. from the beginning. I said the lyrics. Oh, from the lyrics. Well, I even, said the even lyrics. so, even so. Yeah, no, I'm with him. We're, I'm, I'm getting hit with the feels. You with me? Yeah. yeah. All, right. All right, fair enough. Um, We've been on the opposite sides of this. Let's do it. Come you've on. been wrong before. Uh, so have you. <laughs> Listeners, be warned. This will be long. It's up to me to decide whether I want to edit me. I'm going to start with my pros. I will end with the critiques. There are some critiques. I'm a math rock convert. Not that I was ever a disbeliever. I, as of this album, I am a convert. I just don't know where I've been all this time. Uh, from what I've heard of math rock, I, you know, mostly got the impression that it was just a slightly more intricate indie punk, which can always vary from band to band, so I guess I just wasn't struck yet by that right sound. And yet, math rock is certainly a more specific genre than prog. It's less broad. There's a sound here uh, that certain groups share, and yet you're always looking for what a ba- makes a band unique in the end. And uh, you know what makes a band unique in the end? Good songwriting. It's a pretty simple formula. The great thing about human beings is that we understand mathematics and we also understand emotion. And a pretty comprehensive palette of both, I think. And I just should have assumed that on this album, you know, this was the natural direction of indie rock. You get both of those things together and it's magic. For once, without caveats, this feels like a 2010s evolution of a sound uh, that has been building for decade to decade, from decade to decade. And honestly, John hit the nail on the head when he said it could have dropped in his uh, listening catalog anywhere within the past 20 years, and he would have liked it. I've never had an album like that. It always is like, I've grown into this sound, and that's that's that feels right. <laughs> no, this always felt right, and it, and it validates many things that also open so many new doors. And unlike so many other groups whose reaction is to take a step back, to to be more minimalist, these guys are all in. Like Anna Meredith and others before her, this is maximalism. Remember that awesome thing? Nope, nope, no time to recoup from it. Nope, we're not going to be doing that again. Here's another awesome thing. And then when we finally do regroup and and recoup and have our gentle little aside, you're going to cry. You're going to cry from how tasteful it was, which brings me to my next point. I am giddy listening to this album. I listened to it over a dozen times this week, if only that, maybe two dozen. And yes, while I've had several albums on this show that I have loved to death, I've only been this giddy on two occasions. FFS by FFS, episode 181, and Amor by Banda Magda, episode 154. And even then, this is in many ways a slightly more fulfilling giddiness, because it's not front-to-back jubilation. Ah, uh, no, 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 this is, there's some somber passages here that feel reacted to, as only one can. It's teardrop, catharsis, romance, playfulness, poignancy, and raw power. It's the bolognese of those things and others that really draw me back a lot. More so than FFS, I think, and, and Banda Magda, which dealt with a slightly narrower spectrum and so were my phases with them they were they were brief they were intense and i do actually set them down for long periods of time this album 
partly due to its brevity, attaches itself to you really, really quickly and sends you through a whirlpool over the course and feels complete as anything. I agree with Matt 100% on that particular point. Which brings me to my critiques. And in these critiques, I'm going to be making a heavy comparison, which is almost a faux pas. That comparison is to The Invisited Conundrum by Godsticks, episode 51, my top-rated album of all time on this podcast. It is my only five-star to date. I have to compare it there, considering the setup that I've given. Um, this is where the critiques enter in here. Although it's a completely different genre than Godsticks, that's prog, this is math, it actually gives me the same sensations, the same all-in mentality and the same exploratory spirit as The Invisited Conundrum by Godsticks. Same expert composition, album scale consciousness, fascination, all of that stuff. There are only three things this album is slightly lacking in, and I'm going to explain why the first one is of no consequence. You guys started to bring it up. Length. Yes, at 24 minutes, it does lack in sheer time. It's not so simple, though, as complaining, this album is too short. It's not really too short, I'm going to explain why in a moment. But as a rule of thumb, I do think that long-form composition can often accomplish a little bit more for me, just by virtue of imprinting. Time plus brilliance equals involvement. And for how short this album is, I am insanely involved, and one could even argue that it makes up for its length in terms of density. Density may have simply sucked up all of their effort, and you can't really rate effort. This isn't even a question of effort. I don't even care about effort. If they're prodigies who can produce this in a week, or perfectionists who take a decade, I don't care. I only care about the album. But my point is that pacing can be a huge game changer, and The Invisited Conundrum is a more paced album. It's a larger canvas that can be very difficult for musicians to remain consistent with over the course. Anyone can just play music for several hours, but to tell a complex story, even an ab in abstract instrumental one, especially an abstract instrumental one at the same time, that takes serious, serious vision. And the same thing that truly taxes musicians' planning skills in that way, seeing far in advance and tailoring their trajectory, is also what taxes our listening skills as we follow their trajectory. And I think that's honestly what makes us smarter human beings in the end. It's one way of doing that, at least. But honestly, would a normal-length album have accomplished anything in this case? Would it have simply meant more great music, or more time for them to spread apart and diffuse their greatness into mediocrity? Well, here's some advice. If you listen to this album and you feel a little gypped on time, do what I do, do what Matt did, do what all of us would do in this circumstance, start it over again. And you know what? You're far more inclined to start it over because of what Matt said. 24 minutes, you can fit that in your day and still feel like you could go and do another round. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to play an album in its entirety, but I just don't quite have the time for it, which means I end up cutting the album short and sacrificing its, its, its overall message. And what's 20 minutes in the grand scale of things? I'd rather have 20 minutes of gold than 60 minutes of filler. So all of that is basically pointless, and this is where my rating system starts to be a lot kinder than, than usual. For instance, you know, we've explained before how Matt's five-star rating is different than my five-star rating, and John's, for Matt specifically, it's kind of a plateau. When an album tops out there and achieves this buffet of best-ofs, then he wonders later whether he needs to redefine the scale. Still, though, it's respectable system. Mine has always been a little bit more of an asymptotic relationship, getting closer, hardly touching, which is why I was the first to em employ the crazy decimals, and now we all do it. And so, only few albums in history will ever reach the five for me. 4.5 and up is essentially my best of buffet. Fives are just phantoms in time. What was that? What just happened just now? I, I can make every decimal kind of seem like a feat for the ages, which is a little unfair, but as I was saying, album length is one area where I'm just really, really kind, because 
I believe that works of genius can be achieved in spurts. I just, I firmly believe in the product. Products negate time, and when I'm fully involved and not bored, even once, not watching the clock, not watching the timestamp, then an album or any song of any length can feel like an eternity. The good eternity. It whisks me away, and that's absolutely what this album did in 24 minutes, akin to precisely what the Envisage Conundrum accomplished at 59 minutes. All of it basically says that the that that none of that is factoring in my review. <laughs> Excellent. Second critique, not nearly as long. Uh, this is production quality. For a debut album, this album really does have outstanding production. The ideas were there, the reservation was also there, but at times I do feel as if the bright, high to mid, glassy guitar sounds that come to characterize this album and are among the things that I love about this album do begin to consume this album for all of its diversity. And again, since this is the benchmark for this particular quandary of mine, I would highly re recommend to these guys, if they're listening to this, to check out the Invisits Conundrum by Godsticks, whether it's their genre or not. And let's get this straight. This is not a veiled plea to be more like Godsticks. Bullshit. Snooze needs to do snooze. But to listen specifically to the breadth of tone present in that album from track to track, which, by the way, I had to listen to back to back to even confirm whether this was actually true, and it is a little bit. The balance in color between bass, mid, and treble, and also within each track itself, that's a rare treat. And it's also inaccessible to many bands, which is also unfair, but it can do wonders for the sonic experience and add majesty to any album. So that is a slight factor. Finally, the third critique, only slightly painful because this is seriously from the upper, upper, upper most tiers of critical analysis. In terms of composition, this album has great melodies, great bass lines, Great overall composition, but there's also a slight reliance on rhythm to tell the tale. Almost an artist's signature, no doubt. So, yeah, you might think the very things that, that make them great overlap with the critique sometimes. Of course they do. At this level, this, this is a fool's exercise, what we're doing here. What I'm doing here. But indulge me for a moment. Melodies, you know, they join the rhythm almost neck and neck in terms of importance. But what I'd really like to see in the future is more harmony and counterpoint from all sections. It would probably overlap with critique number two a little bit because harmony and balance and color are all cousins. But still, I'm adding this separately here because it breaches its way into the songwriting just a tad, and that would once again add to the majesty of any album. That said, they could stay right at this level, even phone it in here and there, they've still made a lifelong fan out of me. And so, for critiques number two and critiques number three, and my refusal to bring critique number one into play, this album gets a 4.98. My second highest ever right out of the gate, and easily one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, achieving that status in an unprecedented Six days. Much quicker, I might add, than the Invisits Conundrum, which cheated as I had been listening to it for three months prior to recording. Wow. All right. Well, um... I'm, wow. little, I'm, I'm never writing wet. that much ever yeah. again. <laughs> I'm a little wet right now, yeah, not gonna I, lie. Yeah, well, that's mostly because we're sweating and it's hot in, in the studio. Yeah, you well. mostly. <laughs> mostly. Mostly because of that. Um, all right, well, before I tell us what we're taking on next week, uh, Steve, I imagine after all of that wordiness, you must have a very brief music term of the week. You're damn right. Doodle sack. Doodle sack? Doodle sack. Doodle sack. Doodle sack. What do I think a doodle sack is? It's exactly what it sounds like. Is it really? Is it is just... It like a, hey, as long as your mind's not in the gutter. Then. Is it a collection of notes that kind of get jumbled up into a specific area? No. Oh. Is a doodle sack a stanza that comes below another? No. Okay. It's a bagpipe. No. In German, at least that's what the Germans call a bagpipe, is a doodle sack. 
which is probably means it's of course you know doodle suck. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know that can't do that word in a German I accent. I thought it was all music related, not instrument specific. He well, threw a curveball. There are instruments in music. I've heard instruments happen to make music. Yeah, really, yeah. really, yeah, really. Anyway, all right. <laughs> so for our album next week, I'm taking a page out of Steve's book. Um, I navigated Bandcamp because I'm tired of searching on Spotify. It's actually a serious quandary that I want to talk about on the podcast at a later date, but I feel overwhelmed by just the slew of stuff that Spotify, you know, kind of pours out in their new releases and doesn't really categorize. What's great about Bandcamp is you can search by category very easily because they tag everything. And so I picked FM-84, a sun-soaked 80s-inspired cinematic synth-pop band from California. And their album... Atlas, and I'm just going to briefly read the description of Atlas off the Bandcamp page. Atlas is the story of wonder, imagination, dreams, youth, innocence, love, and heartbreak, all captured under the golden light of a fading summer sun, a soaring cinematic journey to the sound of the summer long gone. Now we're talking. All right. So that pick. So this one is mostly instrumental with some vocals. It should be pretty interesting, but... um, I wanted to, Steve brought up often that we kind of fall back onto 80s in a lot of pop stuff, but this is a pop album I picked from Bandcamp that's being lauded with five stars across the board and is deep in 80s synth. So I want to I'm see... I'm looking at... We're going to talk about this cover. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, my God, this cover. It's so, a pretty cool cover. So I'm, go, I'm, so I'm excited to take this on because could this be the album that swings us back towards 80s synth as something that can be evolved and revolutionized? So tune in for that next week. And remember, as always... Music is life, and, and life, life is, is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.